When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. And today I'm back after two and a half years with Wayno. What's up, Adam? How you feeling, Wayno? I'm feeling good, man. I'm 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 honored that I could call y'all and come back. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, it, no, it, I'm it, excited. I feel good though. I ain't gonna front. I feel really good. Life is good. Life is a lot of things. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but it's worth living. I'll right. tell you that. Because I see you laddering up in this fucking content game out here, man. I'm trying to do my best. You feel me? Right. I'm trying to do my best. It's like uh. I didn't expect it to, to, to run as long as it's ran, but once it started becoming a thing, I'm like, oh, shit, I could actually make money for it. I'm going to put my all in. You feel me? Because we saw you in the beginning, like early in your career, you were like more on the label side of things and working with yeah. artists and everything. Then mm-hmm. we see you take a dip into doing content. Mm-hmm. And then after Everyday Struggle, people didn't necessarily know if you were going to keep doing content or if you were going to go back to just doing stuff with the labels and yeah, shit yeah. and you seem like you're doing a pretty decent job of doing both yeah i'm doing both it's a lot to do but at the same time it's like when everyday struggle was ending i was just like uh i was trying to figure out. i'm always thinking a year ahead uh-huh. so i was like all right how i'm gonna figure out how i keep getting this media bread you know what I mean? right. and i had I, I started talking with um i had did a couple of one-offs with amazon you know i did a couple of one-offs with amazon and um, that went from me doing a one-off to them presenting me a deal and then, um, you know, giving me my own show mm. on Amazon Music. You know, because when you say Amazon, everybody think Prime. Right. It was on Amazon Music. So, like, and even with doing the show, we still been figuring that out along the way. Like, mm. it wasn't something that we had planned out. I got on. We were like, all right, what are we going to do? And then we started figuring out the show, and it's been progressing. But was the podcast that you were doing originally, was that through Amazon as well? No, no, no. The podcast is some shit I just did in my spare time. Oh, so that was just independent? Yeah, I was doing that independent. Oh, just to keep your media chops good? Or? No, I actually wanted to do a podcast. So the thing was, it was like, I knew I was taking this position, right, with QC and all of that shit. So because you were with Asylum yeah, while with Asylum. you were doing Everyday Struggle and then for a little while after? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I was I was still with Asylum for a little bit after, but it, like I was trying to figure out like I really wanted to do a podcast. Everybody I met was like, do a podcast, do a podcast. Like I ain't gonna lie, like I still wanna do a podcast, but when I moved for this position, I just don't have the time. Really? Like like I, I would like to do it because um th- what I wanted to do with the pot in the podcast space was real really be distinctive about just me telling stories about life, right? Like just telling stories about life and um, it really was therapeutic, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I got a chance to, like, kind of vent about shit with losing my dad and just, like, just life shit. And a lot of people felt how I was feeling. And it was catching some good traction. Right. But in the middle of that, I had to move to Atlanta for this position. Okay. So it was like, you know, I had to make a decision. Like, I can't be flying back and forth to New York all the time to do the um, podcast. So I just took a step back from it and just put a, a step forward on my, my show. Because I was a... Uh you know, the, the, uh, last night when I was thinking, like, okay, what what am I going to listen to that's going to get me in the zone to interview Wayno or, like, <laughs> think about his life or whatever? I'm trying to, like, stir around in my head, think of some questions. Uh-huh. And so I, I go to the podcast app. Mm-hmm. I type in Wayno. I see your podcast. I, I click on the most recent episode. I'm listening to it for – it took about 25 minutes before I'm, like – when the fuck did this come out? <laughs> right. And then I go and look, and it's 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were talking about Lizzo shaking ass by the by the side of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
even then you were talking about how that was like a while ago. It was a while ago. So it was like you were doing like like a re like a you know furthering the conversation like two years down the road, which that's what fucked me up and yeah. made me not realize that it was old. Well, the thing was, it was like you know I, I didn't want to make the podcast news topical because doing everyday struggle that shit is a lot to come in and talk every day about something new that's going on in, in music or just it's a whatever. Struggle. It's a struggle. Whoa. <laughs> no offense. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, didn't intend to do that. Nah, but but for real, it's it's a lot to do. So I didn't really want to. I didn't want it. I wanted to be evergreen. I didn't want it to be predicated on everything that was going on. Because honestly, a lot of news that come out, I don't be want to talk about a lot of that shit. Mm. You know, a lot of stuff I, I just keep to myself because my views is like sometimes your views could be controversial. I'm not a controversial person. And a lot of times, mm -hmm. the biggest news. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot to say about it because no. sometimes the biggest news will be, oh, this rapper got shot and killed. Bro, and I then see what what the fuck am I gonna say? This I've already <laughs> talked about this fifty times. Right. And they don't know anything yet. Yep. Maybe a couple weeks later, there's more information and shit. But it's like you kind of you don't want to be like a gossiper who's just yeah, making I, shit up. You don't want to be like guessing at motives and shit. You know. So I like I just seen news the other day. It was like somebody. It was uh, I think the girl. I can't remember this girl's name. She's from Houston. Um, is it Erica Banks? Erica Banks. Oh yeah. yeah she yeah. said something about like people was insinuating that she was talking about Corey Larray, and it was like Corey Larray responds. You click on it, it's Corey Larray just putting laughing emojis. That's not news. <laughs> like she putting laugh emojis on the tweet. That's not fucking news. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So I didn't want to like fall into the, pay, the the space of competing and it, like that. And then it does weird things to you when you are trying to find news all the time, where it's like all of a sudden this Erica Banks girl. Mm -hmm has had some success mm -hmm. as a rapper and shit, not right. trying to take anything away from her. Right. But realistically, why the fuck are me and you talking about some little beef that she had with another? Yeah, why the fuck are we talking about this? But there's a lack of like really good shit to right, talk right. about. So you end up getting pushed into these like weird side narratives where all of a sudden somebody who like used to be involved with Meg the Stallion is like important enough for us to talk about. I, like, I would definitely say if like podcast was the video game and all of that, like what we're doing is the video game, all of the little shit is side missions. Like, yeah. they just rack up VC or some shit. You yeah. know what I mean? It's all a little bit side missions. And, and for weird, like, purposes as well. Because yeah. it's like, you know, when you're talking about something that you don't care about and you don't think your audience cares about it, and you're like, so I'm, I'm putting effort and energy into this, and my audience is either going to not watch it or think a little bit less of me for right. talking about it, then you start to be like, well, what the fuck? So, so that's like most, what I wouldn't say the most difficult thing with me doing media, right? Because it's like... I've been on shows that done that went viral, like with the shit with Soldier Boy, different different instances, right? But it never was for the stuff that meant something to me in music. Mm -hmm. So doing my show, yeah, all them topics come up. Like, do you want to talk about this, this, that, and the third? I'm like, nah, I don't really like. I don't really give a fuck to talk about like some personal shit somebody going on or them. Yeah, now I'll watch it. Right. Now, I'll click on and watch all the news for it. But for me, I don't want to talk about that stuff. So I don't make viral content. Somebody told me I made substance content, right? Where it's more like every time I talk with an artist, it's more about like, you know, what they got going on on the music side, on the life side. And mm -hmm. I did um something with Kodak Black. That was, that, you yeah. know, that was actually my first real sit down one-on-one -on -one with somebody. Aside from having everyday struggle, aside from doing it on Zoom. Me and Kodak Black was the first thing I did. Not exactly the easiest person to wrangle or get a straight answer out of. Yo, I ain't going to lie. It was pretty, I, I would say it was pretty easy for me. He seems like he's gotten more accustomed to doing media where he didn't do any for a long time. And now he's kind of chilling, just well, talking to people. Well, I say this about Kodak, right? Like Kodak, and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but he's like a kid in the space of like, you know, when you talk to a little kid yeah. and you say something like, how was school? And they'd be like, oh, it's cool. Whatever. And he'd be like... Yo, you want to get some McDonald's or something? They be like, yeah, like so. So whenever you say something that he's into, like yeah. he gets excited about. But if you talking about the general shit, he don't really give a fuck. Like when I started talking to him about 
like how I, I I moved out the project six years ago, and he like still as successful as he is goes back to the projects. He started lighting up because we had like a common a common ground, right, mm. to talk about something. And I feel like when when you're a media personality, if you don't have something common, they don't really want to talk with your shit though. People be wanting to talk with your shit. <laughs> I, I love, like, I watch, I, of course, I mean, not saying this because you my guy, but, like, I watch your shit all the time. For sure. And I watch a lot of the, like, I like, um what's what's my man's name? T, T, Trial? Is it Trial? T-Rail, T-Rail. Yeah. T-Rail. Oh, I would love to have you talking to him. That's I would love to, but what I really like about it is, is because, like, when I did the media shit, it gave me a whole new space in my career. Right. And for him, like, coming, I watched his background about, you know, what neighborhood he from and all that. It, I think it's amazing for him to be able to talk to artists, because you, or just talk on a, on a platform, because you never know, that shit save his life, you know mm. what I mean? Even AD, like, AD my brother, bro, like, I love AD to death, and, like, Seeing how he took the rap shit and then did this with you, mm. and he's been doing it. How many years y'all been doing it now? Two years. Pretty much started with the pandemic. But it's been consistent. Yeah, yeah. It's been consistent. Like, when I think of AD, I think of, I mean, when I think of No Jump, I think of AD as well. Mm. So it's like seeing AD spaces, like, damn, like, the opportunities that come here is not just, you know, to come here and bullshit. It's what you make of it. Right, yeah. Mm. Like, I just did an interview with this girl from Cincinnati, Skylar Blatt, who uh, just, like, recently has gone viral off mm -hmm. of this one freestyle she did and shit. And I watched another interview that she did, and it was not incredible. And then <laughs> I just had her on, and she was just opening up, just telling me random shit. Like, it was just, I don't know. Like, that—that that is the best feeling is when I watch Kamaya. I watched her on Vlad, mm -hmm. and it was a piece of me that was like, fucking A. Like, he asked her, like, every good thing that I could think of. Yeah. And then I interviewed her, and... It was like not as like fact based or like tell me about this thing, right? But it was such a good vibe, and I felt like I got like a real vision of her as a person, and like that is such a fucking great feeling to just be able to like bring something different out of somebody. Yo, I actually love like I mean, Vlad has been what people feel to realize is like people like Vlad, like act even I seen people try to do it to you like oh that shit ain't real. It's going and one day and what I, I what people got to start realizing is is. It's content, but you got to take what you could get out of it, right? right? Like, I don't look at, like, when I see you, you, you talk to a lot of people that, a lot of these dudes wouldn't talk to nobody, mm -hmm. but you give them a space where they feel comfortable and they feel like sharing, and it's not only about the bullshit. Like, I watched a lot of these, a lot of brothers come up on here and they talk about shit they went through, you know what I mean? And you got to think, a lot of them wouldn't be open to talking to a fucking therapist, let mm -hmm. alone coming up here and speaking with you. So I think a lot of times where, where y'all get flack, people don't look at, how, how much exposure, not just exposure, but making it comfortable for a dude to come and talk about their life. Mm. Not just the negative, but like you get a chance to really understand a lot of these artists, where they're coming from. Like the, it's this kid, what's the kid that you had on here? Some kid from Hoover, um, Jap? Oh, Jap 5. Bro, I watched his interview. I really, I, I, I really felt sorry for him. Who's now fighting a murder. Right, but I, I felt sorry for him in the space of like, I can't imagine, like, like when he was talking about, I can't remember the details, but he was just saying certain shit about his life, and I was like, damn, I can't imagine. Like, I grew up, I didn't grow up, I didn't have the best life, but I can't, I, I didn't grow up like how a lot of these brothers lived out here, and I'm like, damn, like, I think about them as being kids, yeah. you know what I mean, and, and growing up as men, and, and not being guided, not having nobody around, and I'm like, if I... If, I probably would have never seen an interview with him with anybody else but you. Appreciate you know that. What I'm saying? No, yeah, that that kind of thing stands out to me a lot. And that's why when anybody tries to act like, oh, Adam's interviews are just for clickbait or just because he wants to hear some gangster stories or whatever, <laughs> I'm like, I'm really not even concerned with somebody saying that because that seems like such a gross misrepresentation of what actually happens. Where I actually feel like I'm having like incredibly in-depth conversations with people about everything from 
the most positive shits and the most negative shit. And like, I've, I've done interviews where I couldn't believe how foul the shit that the fucking artist was talking about with me, where it was like the realest street type conversation without them necessarily crossing the line to incriminate yeah. themselves. And I've had conversations where I had the most street dude, like a guy like Peasy, who, yeah, who, yeah. who oh, just, Peasy came in and just like gave me the fucking blueprint for how he thinks about shit to right. such an insane degree. And I felt like he just opened up so much to me. I was so honored after now, that. Peasy, she was fire. You know, but you said something very important. Like, people say, saying stuff about gangster shit. 50 Cent Line, America got a thing for that gangster shit. They love it, right? So true. it's like, I don't understand. Now, I don't agree with artists coming up and saying, like, if you got a pending case, don't be talking about the details of the shit that led mm. up to your case, right? But if you, if, if if that's a part of your story, I think that you have just as right, just a right to talk about it as Martin Scorsese has to shoot a fucking movie about, about it, right? Mm. And I, I think, like, especially with black people like um our gangster stories are always looked at as the detriment of us now yeah a lot of this shit is the detriment of us but 50 cent doing uh bmf as a show that's an american gangster story it's not just a black story you know what i mean mm. it's an american gangster story and it's no different than the goodfellas in a sense right. because all of that shit was based loosely on shit that actually happened right so if if, if it's content creation then why can't that space be filled you, you feel me I, you know and honestly i think of it the same way that i've always thought about gangster rap in general where i remember when clips like i always talk about clips uh lord willing being like the album for that me album right after i graduated high school so i'm mm -hmm. like 18 driving around in my fucking buick regal just banging that <laughs> album over and over and over and this is the cd era where yeah, every album i still got you, that cd every every cd you do have you can listen to it like 500 fucking times right and I remember like listening to that and realizing like Pusha was talking about the conflict of selling drugs, but then also having to deal with the the, the horrible feeling of that he was destroying his own community. Oh, and yeah, that, yeah. that he even served people in his own family oh, and yeah. shit like this. And I think it's the same thing with podcasting, where if I watch somebody's podcast and they're just talking about some gangster shit, asking corny ass gangster questions over and over and over, yeah. I agree that shit is whack. Like it, it might get you some views and shit, but it's really if you're not showing the totality of a person and not attempting to figure out also like what their childhood was like, how they might have ended up being this kind of person, et cetera, then you really are just kind of glorifying some bullshit. Oh no, that's a fact. Yeah. I, I, but I think like you know. And I, I wasn't until like I, I really started putting an air on like the Bronx drill kids, right? I started putting mm -hmm. an air on them, and um, like listening to their music. And the the biggest takeaway for them, because a lot of them are talented, but the biggest takeaway I got from all of their music and like their lives and all that is they ain't got no fucking fathers. You know what I mean? Like they don't have no fathers. So it's like I, I was a kid. I was born and raised in the Bronx. I moved to Harlem when I was twelve, but I knew what it's like to come outside and like try to figure it out every day, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was telling one of my friends. Um, yesterday that like I grew up in a neighborhood where everybody's mentality was a criminal mentality. You don't have to catch a felony to be a criminal. Mm. But everybody where I'm from came outside like, how can I get over? How can I get more? If I got a job, it's like, yo, you got a job at such and such, how can I get a discount? Who's stealing in there? How could we get some shit for cheap? So we only had like a certain mentality based on this this little radius we was in, right? New so, York is good for that because oh, no, there's so much shit going on around you, but then meanwhile it feels like there's no way for you to get started in building something for yourself. Oh no, because it's like, it, it, so coming out of the side as a kid, I, I, well, I say when I first started, I, I spent a lot of time in Harlem because my grandfather was Harlem, from Harlem, so I spent like summers down there. But like my aunt moved to Harlem, and like when I first started spending a lot of time there, you coming outside, 
uh, this dude on my aunt's block, he had a clothing store, and fucking Tyson Beckford used to be in every day. Wow. And this is like in 96, 95, 96. So he's like the biggest fucking supermodel. He's in all the videos and all that. But like, I'm seeing Tyson Beckford. Then you seeing Mace, and you seeing, um, you seeing all these people in entertainment. But the only commonality that you have with the neighborhood of a person that's successful is the person that's hustling. So you can't, like, as a kid, you don't look at an artist and be like, I could be an artist. You say, well, I seen him hustling and, and and I could do that. I see it every day. And and that's the only thing you'll know. So when I looked at all of those kids, I'm like, it's not even hustling no more. They just coming outside and doing gangster shit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because they really don't have nothing to do. They don't have no resources. And the problem in, like, New York City is more predicated on lack of education, lack of resources, lack of opportunity, as opposed to everybody just joining the gang. Yeah, and those Bronx kids, it's not like they're like warring over who gets to sell drugs in a certain neighborhood. It's all social media disrespect and then shit from the music, you know? But they grew up, you gotta think, right? If you're 20 years old right now and you a popping artist that everybody's trying to sign in the drill scene, you was 10 years old when Don't Like came out. Mm. And you watch Chief Keef and and Lil Reese and Lil Jojo and everybody beef over. So so the only pattern you'll know to be as an artist is what you've seen, right? right? So it's like, it's not like a jaded kiss who might have been growing up watching a, a rock him or you know what I mean. Right, and where, then, where being a great lyricist was really exactly. the, the emphasis here. But, but a lot of those kids, I, like I feel like K. Flock is a kid who he has like, unfortunately he's locked up, but he had the, he has the ability, beloved too, like Dougie B, like they have the ability, but they don't really know how good they are. Mm. Like they really don't know how good they are or how good they could potentially be. They just get in, they just day to day every day. Right, and I think that the the biggest disparity is when. The people that's older forget that they was that age. Right. Like, I didn't forget that I was that age and I was just as, my brain wasn't developed like theirs wasn't. And now you mix money into that shit. What you think is going to happen? Disaster. There's a, like uh, a, a prison guy that I was talking to recently. Mm-hmm. He was talking about, you know, the, the jail for like the 18 year olds was, was one thing. And then there was another jail that was like 20 to 22 years old. And then there's like another jail for the 23 to yeah. 30 years old. And he was telling me that the difference, even just between the 18-year-old mm-hmm. section and the 20-year-old section, never mind the 24-year-old section or however it was sorted, right. was so unreal because the 18-year-olds were so aggressive and oh, yeah. so not shaped to exist in this world or whatever. Yeah. And that really is, when you think about it, think about how people acted when you were in high school, bro. Oh, yeah. Even the so, first couple years out of high school, people really start to have to grow up and, and turn that switch up. No, that's a fact. So, like, you know it's crazy that you say that? Because I feel like... Like, I lived in, the only other place I lived in New York um, was Maryland. I lived in Maryland for a year for the seventh grade. But, like, New York school systems don't prepare you for high school. High school is, like, really responsible, right? It's like, um, when I lived in Maryland, you had to get to your class by yourself. When I lived in New York, in middle school, like, they got hall monitors watching you the whole time. Like, you can't go nowhere. It doesn't prepare you. But, like, to your point about... um, like the, the the mentality, right? Like when I was in t- a teenager, everybody wanted to go to Spon- Sponford is the jail like that everybody goes to when they're young. You know what I mean? I, I, that was the thing. Like my friend go to Sponford, be there, be gone for a month. Be like, yeah, man, I was in there, catch a. Ra-. It, it, it's a mentality of, of of it's not conducive to our living though. Mm. But I also I battle with that as working in, in hip hop because a lot of shit in hip hop is not conducive to my living either. Mm. You know what I mean? My culture, like this culture that we hold up so high and all of that shit. A lot of that shit is detrimental to my people. Right. So I, I always battle with, am I not necessarily doing the right thing, but like, 
if I'm in this space and I, I sign a young dude or a young lady from a certain area, how can I help them out of that mindset? Right. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of people in hip hop who want to deny the connection between the music and the violence as well. To, oh, to it's an a extent, direct connection. It's kind of absurd. Like Nikki, Nikki put out a statement in response to Eric Adams or whatever saying like, oh, these the music is not the source of the violence. It's like, no, literally songs drop and then bodies drop the next fucking day from some of these songs. Well, it is. No, there is a, uh, there is a connection, right? So the, the the bigger issue to me is there's not enough. I don't want to use policing. I I I want to use like uh, transparency, right? Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I for me when I was younger, and I think I said this on your uh, on on the podcast we did before. Like it was a dude in my neighborhood who uh, his name is Uncle Gene. He was a friend of my uncle, but he was a CEO a CEO on Rikers. And he had found out I was gangbanging or whatever. So he pulled me to the side and he was just like, yo, I'm not going to tell your mother what you're doing or nothing. Like, you got the right to do whatever you want. I'm just letting you know when you get the right because I'm not Uncle Gene no more. You're going to have to fend for yourself. So if you want that shit, keep going. But if not, you need to stop right now. Mm. And and I had, like, you know that term is a village to raise a child? Right. Now it's like, I don't give a fuck. Like, that ain't my cousin. That ain't my little brother. That ain't my... But people don't even care about their little brothers and none of that because they can't even see shit for themselves. Mm. So I think that the 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 the, the violence in New York... We'd be, it'd be ridiculous, and I, I'm not going. I don't, I don't know Nicki Minaj. I can't speak for her or nothing, but it'd be ridiculous for us to say it's not a connection because it was a connection when it was G Unit, right? It, when it was G Unit and they was aggressive. Everybody knew when they came around. They all came. They had their white tees, Yankee caps. They had an energy that people started emulating, right? And now the connection's so much more direct because oh, yeah. these kids are able to make a song, put it out two days later oh, yeah. with the video. But like, think about D Block, right? D Block. That was the name was was named after like a cell block in prison. So mm. that, that's you got to think about marketing, right? Like if you if you saying and I kiss style. I grew up on the locks. Like my, I got this tattoo on my neck is a Styles P quote. Mm. But when I was a kid and I was listening to the locks every day, I learned a lot of stuff from them. But I also learned how to be. I had a mindset of being violent because of certain things they said. Mm. We, we, it'd be ridiculous to say that's why the whole shit. I'm not a role model. I, I don't. I don't raise your kids. No. Yes, you do. You might not want to take. You don't have to take responsibility. But to say that, like even for you, Adam, right? Right. There's young kids all over America, or wherever, or it might be a, a young kid. In the town, where you from again? New Hampshire. You from New Hampshire? Half I only been to New Hampshire like one time. That's more, one more time than most people. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but it might be. Let's say it's a young white kid in, in New Hampshire that sees what you're doing every day right. and says, "Damn, Adam went to school right there, or he used to live, or he had a job right there. I could be that, right? Mm. That's how hip hop is. So if we see somebody that's banging blood or banging crip, you you might not say I, I blooded him in or I I I I, I put him on a set or whatever but he's gonna become he or she is gonna become join a gang based on what you're because of you because they looking at you as fucking superman mm. you feel me and 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 to say that there's not a connect it's definitely a connection i just think that artists can't take a direct responsibility for it because they can't control it themselves and there's this whole like cycle of life that mm-hmm. a lot of people don't necessarily acknowledge but there's a thing where you're a kid Mm-hmm. And you need support from your community, from your parents, et cetera, from That's your family. Fact. And That's they're the one like you can't just exist as a six year old. So, you know, your your childhood is covered or colored by the fact that you need the support network around you. Right. Then you start to turn, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18. And this thing starts to click in your brain where you're like, oh, no, like I could be independent. I could be outside. I could stay out till four in the morning. Right. I could have a job. I could have a hustle or whatever. Like I don't need my parents, I don't need to talk to my mom all mm, week. Right. And guys start to get into that mind state. Then you get a little older and you start to have kids. And mm. you start to think, 
okay, society does matter because I actually do care about the world that my kid is growing up in. Right. And you don't want to raise your kid in a world that's full of fucking 18-year-old thugs who are just doing whatever the fuck they want to do. You mm -hmm. know, you want to live in a community that takes care of itself, et cetera. And that's mm -hmm. this whole cycle of life where you have this this chunk that might only be five years or however many years of your life in which you don't I really care about the social fabric as much, but it matters to you before and it matters to you after. Hey guys, just wanted to interrupt this here interview and let you know that this podcast is sponsored by Blue Chew. If you need some help keeping a harder slash stronger erection, Blue Chew just might be the thing for you. I've known a lot of people over the years who were into Viagra or Cialis. Well, this has a lot of the same active ingredients ingredients, but it's available in a chewable form. And personally, I prefer it. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so there's no awkward visits to the doctor or anything like that. You just go online and it's delivered to you in discreet packaging, so nobody's going to know what you're getting your hands on. All you have to do is head on over to BlueChew.com and consult with one of their licensed medical providers. Now, those medical providers actually work with you to figure out what kind of dosage you need and what might be best for your particular needs. And the best part is that these are chewable tablets, not no weird-ass horse pills. These things are made in the USA and shipped directly to you, so there's no added costs. It's very, very inexpensive. And we have a special deal just for our listeners. You can try Blue Chew for free when you use the promo code ADAM22 at checkout. You'll pay just $5 in shipping, so head on over to BlueChew.com and use promo code ADAM22, and you will receive your first month free. When I was a teenager, I didn't, I never, I didn't understand the word value until I became a parent, mm. and I don't even think I understood it then, right? Because like when I was a teenager, I didn't care if I lived or died. Like exactly, I, yeah. I had a, I had a, um, I went to this alternative high school, and I had this, uh, we, it was like a small room, like um, smaller than this room, maybe, and it was like maybe ten of us, like six boys, four girls. And we would have like a counselor come in one month because, you know, we didn't have guidance counselors. So the counselor come in, and just talk to us. And I talked to this guidance counselor and she asked me, I think I was 16 at the time. She said, where did I see myself when I was 18? And I was like, I'm not going to be alive by the time I'm 18. Mm -hmm. And she was like, why? And when I explained to her why, I felt like that this lady broke down crying. And I couldn't, I'm like, fuck are you crying for? I'm the one that's going to die. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that was my mindset, but I didn't see value. So the thing about it is uh, we got tons of kids all over the world that don't see value in themselves. When they look in the mirror, they feel invisible. Mm. And the only thing that might make them feel visible is putting on a bandana. The only mm. thing they might feel visible doing is putting out a record, right? right. So you, and, and then I, I think like this is my, my responsibility as an executive, right, is when it comes in is, I'm sorry, but I got a soft spot for, for, for sad stories because I come from a sad story. So when I come, when, when we start talking to these artists and I'm trying to sign one or two of them, it's like, I, I'm like, I got to change this kid's life. Because they're going to be gone. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really look at that shit. I be like, damn, like, kids really lose their life over this music shit. Yeah. I remember when I first found out about K-Flock, I mm -hmm. uh, did one of these, you know, late nights sitting on YouTube watching a thousand fucking clips in a row type things. Yeah. And after a little bit, I, I realized that I knew the guy who signed him, like the guy who's in charge of the label that yeah. signed him. Yeah. So I reach out to him. He's an older white guy. Mm -hmm. And I said, like, bro. This guy, A, the music is fire, but B, I cannot believe some of the shit he's doing on Instagram. And he was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, there's this fucking video of, of him, you know, running through his ops projects and talking about, you know, come outside, I'm outside, rah, 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 and he's on live yeah. the whole time, et cetera. And I realized this dude that I'm telling about it has no idea. He hasn't seen any of because this. He's not wow. in tune with the actual violence that is, in, that is making this music so popular in large part. But that's why, so that's why I said the conflict comes in, right? Because it's... it's there's no morality in business. Hmm. There's absolutely no morality in business. So when people start talking about some, oh, this, that, and the third, they ain't got no morals. There's no, there's, number, uh, business is numbers. 
It's calculated risk. Right. So when a, a a person like you might be saying is looking at that artist, he not he don't give a fuck about none of that you got going on. You here, you here for um for me to to monetize for me to put some bread in your pocket to monetize. One of the realest things I ever seen ever said. You you familiar with Oskino? Mm-hmm. So I remember I've been I was watching like, him on Say Cheese the past few days. Yeah. Oh for yeah, yeah, yeah. yo. So Oskino, I used to live with Oskino. Oh wow. For a little bit, right? But I was around like nineteen. Oskino. He'd been through a ton of shit in his life. He had a meeting with Dame Dash, right? And Oskino said to him, I, like, he was still on the street. And he said, man, like, I ain't making no money. I got, I'm got, i still out here robbing people and, you know what I mean, doing shit. Dame was like, I don't give a fuck. He said, he said you think I give a fuck that you rob people? I didn't sign you f- to rob people. I signed you to give you an opportunity to change your life. Where's your music? So O kept, like, O, like, he had a partner... They didn't never see eye to eye. He's trying to go solo, but they in a deal to be partners. He don't have a solo deal, but it was real eye open to me to Dame, and I don't think Dame said nothing wrong, cause he's like, I didn't like you telling me you in the streets and you hustling and all that. Like, I don't, I don't care about none of that shit. Mm. I don't feel sorry. Like, I'm not about to feel sorry for you and go in my bank account and give you some bread. I signed you to work, right? And I think that the biggest mishaps is that people don't understand the construct of work when it comes to music because right. it's culture and it's art and people think oh i just i get to get up and do whatever i want all day like as if the the work should just be a product of however the fuck you're feeling which it, is really yeah, not how that's the smallest life works. part though <laughs> it's the, but, but that's the smallest part of everything right yeah. if you look at any form of entertainment specifically sports right like all right the playoffs ain't the playoffs if everybody ain't putting in the work in the offseason. Mm. If everybody's just chilling and they like, yo, now, athletes is like, just a lot of them just overgrown fucking kids with crazy athletic ability. But if none of them do any work in the offseason, what's the product? The product is not going to be but so good. Right. But if they put in all of the work, that's how you get to champions and MVPs and six-mans and all that shit. And can you imagine someone in the music business taking on the role of like a coach? Like actually, like I don't know exactly what coaches are doing, but yeah. I get the understanding that they're pushing these motherfuckers to go hard as fuck. Imagine if you had a guy like that for an upcoming rapper who is treating their rapping skills like that, because yeah. it's also kind of the well, coach's business that you're not getting in trouble, that you're not getting fucked up, et cetera. Right? Well, I'll say, I mean, that's why I named my company Triangle Offense at okay, the time, okay. you know, because I adapted that mindset of like I grew up watching Michael Jordan and I grew up watching Kobe Bryant. And I was like, and then the the Lakers and the Bulls and all that. And I was like, I'm never going. I, I said to myself, like, I'm never going to hit that game winning shot. Like, I'm never going to get that situation. So I, but I could be the coach. I could be the person that like grooms the talent and builds them up to be the best version, to be the Michael Jordan or the Kobe mm-hmm. Bryant. So I try to implement that, you know, into how I do A and R, how I am as an executive. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what about uh, Asylum didn't work for you? How long were you with them? A couple years. Two years. Okay. Yeah, it was different. And, two and years. why'd you move on? Well, so the thing about Asylum was, which is a great company, I'm going to first go off and say that. I'm not saying that because I got to keep my relationships intact and none of that shit. Gabby Peluso took a shot on me when, uh, it was a few labels that was trying to uh, hire me to work there, but she took a shot on me when everybody else kind of backed off. Mm. Um, Gabby Peluso, my man Dallas Martin, he came along. The thing about Asylum was, it's a great company, but for, for my skill set or what I felt like I brought to the table, it didn't compliment me. Right. So there's different things that I felt like I was capable of doing that I just wasn't permitted to. And that wasn't due to um, that wasn't due to the executives I work with. That was just due to budgeting. You know what I mean? Or, and, and, but when you work at a label, it's, it's a lot of it's improvision. 
You know what I mean? Like, if you don't have the access to certain things, you got to figure out how to do it. And for me, where I'm at in my career, I'm 39 years old, but I've been doing this shit for 20 years. I just didn't want to fight that fight anymore. Mm. You know, so um, that was one of the reasons why I left. But at the same time, it was like, you know, I, I wanted to grow a bit more. You know what I mean? I've only worked for three labels in my lifetime. And that's okay. Rockefeller, um, Asylum, and QC now. So when you sign on with Asylum, though, they just give you a little roster of artists and they're like, these are the ones we want you to be involved with? Or is it like one or two specific artists? Well, it was or? a few. I mean, it was Sada Baby first and foremost. Right, because when right? you were yeah, here yeah. most recently for the No Jumbers show, we that was, was when working on his album, you were yeah. very much involved with his career. Yeah, so it was like, I was, I was a... Uh, yeah, I was working on was working on Side of Baby's project, but then also I had the opportunity to sign artists. Like I gave a few artists opportunities, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I signed a few artists over there, but um, yeah, ultimately like it was some art. When I first came in, there was artists that we were being let go, and it was like, all right, we're gonna rebuild the roster. So we started rebuilding the roster, building artists, and then I ain't gonna lie, a, another decision was it was like when that pandemic shit happened. It's nothing mm -hmm. we've ever seen in our lifetime, right? Yeah. So it was just like, all right. Man, I, I I was stuck with it between a lot. Also, I went through a lot while I was there. Like I lost my dad when I was there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like all of that shit. So it was it was yeah. It was it, thank you. I appreciate that. But it was it was a lot of different things. You know, going through. And I just I wanted a new a new start in a sense. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to get more back to the dad thing. Yeah, but we can. I'm comfortable talking about it. In terms of Sada's project, what mm -hmm. was that like? Because I very much got the idea that you were trying to wrangle him, that you were trying to get him to actually give you records and that it was not that easy of a process. Well, it, it's, it's not that it's not that easy. It's like Sada, what he doesn't get credit for that people don't get a chance to see is him in the studio, right? Because he's a volume, like volume, a lot. He can do a lot, right. but like he's really good at how he puts shit together. And I've never seen nobody get high and do 11 songs in a night. You know what I mean? Like, you see artists, get, you know, get high and then they fall asleep. And Sada, I just felt like at the time, you know, when I first when I first met with Sada and we first started working together, we built, me and him built a brotherhood amongst ourselves. Mm. It was bigger than um, us just doing music. Because for me, like, I'm really, really enriched in my family. So, like, I'm going to have to be comfortable around you because it might be a day where I got to have one or two of my kids or, or three of them be somewhere with me while I'm working. Okay. So so we had built up a, a nice relationship, a life's rapport, and then that led to us making the right music. You know? Right. And we built, um, we did the whole lot of Shoppers record. You know what I mean? Like, we did that. And when, when that happened, it still was the pandemic, but that shit took off so quickly. Like, I seen Pitchfork write an article about how we was paying, like, Charlie D'Amelio and all. Sada did not have a budget to pay none of them people. They get paid an astronomical amount of money to dance for 15 seconds. The shit took off by itself. Right. And I think that, you know, when it took off by itself, um, from a label standpoint, from my standpoint, and Sada's standpoint, we all weren't in a line because things were happening so quickly. Right. You know what I mean? So we, 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 did, we did make a good situation out of it. Like, the record went gold. You know what I mean? But we could have done more. But if, like. if you're you mm -hmm. and Sada Sada and he's just kind of doing his own thing and he doesn't necessarily feel the same obligation to get this project out the door and everything, is mm -hmm. that frustrating to you? Because you probably feel like you know exactly what he should be doing with his time. And then meanwhile, if he chooses to do something else, is that is that hard for you to deal with? I say or? yes and no, only because like the, the thing that was difficult about it was it was like I think that the thing with Sada is is that in his mind he has an album, right? Mm. And this album sounds a certain way, it looks a certain way, it feels a certain way. And while he was making a lot of records, he just hadn't put the he just hadn't put that album together. Mm. So he will always drop the Bardier Bounties or, you know, a little song here, song there. But I'm not gonna front here like 
he don't play instruments, but he a musician. I don't know. People might not take that serious because they look at Sada and, and see his rap style, but he really, he really into his music for real. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he just has, he might have a level of perfection that I don't know what he needed. And at the same time, life is happening. It's all types of shit going on. So it's only but so much time we can all allocate to these projects we work on. But then it's like the reality of the business has got to be your bosses kind of breathing down your necks, being like, bro, like we need this fucking project. We yeah, need to put I it mean, out, right? Of like course that happens. You're the one who has to deal with reality because you don't want the rapper to be too bothered by having to deal well, with reality, listen, man, right? Gabby, Gabby was on my ass. Like, you know what I mean? right. But I love Gabby for that. But at the same time, it was like, you know, I think it was a lot of it was a lot of figuring out, and that was Sada's first hit record. The whole lot of choppers, mm. excuse me, was Sada's first hit record, and you know it came at a time when you couldn't really perform like that. So when the record came, he was really focused on that at mm. the moment. You know what I mean? Like, of course, you get a hit record, you make more money than you ever made, you more visible than you ever you ever been. So you know it was a moment for him, and I think that he, I believe in Sada tenfold. I I I think he still has enough enough time in his career to show people how great he is. You know what I mean? Because I've seen it. You know, but it's just about the delivery. But does that feel weird having to walk away from something like that? Does it feel like you were in a two-year relationship that just kind of fizzled out? <laughs> Listen, I was in a four-year relationship with Dave East. Right, yeah. like, you know what I mean? They got to all kind of feel like weird relationships well, almost, Well, yes right? and no. Like, I, so I don't like to start shit that I don't get a chance to finish. Right. But at the same time, it's like, you know, what I had to start learning about myself is that as much as, and I'll, I'll give this analogy, uh, this is no jumper. And I'm pretty sure you've got like other business ventures and all that, but you in the Adam business, mm-hmm. right? Like end of the day, like if one or two people might not work on the podcast you building for him on a show, Adam gonna keep doing what the fuck he got to do for Adam, his, his his lady and his child, regardless to anything. That's how I started. I had to start thinking. I had to stop putting everybody ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. I put every. I'm talking about my whole, bro. My whole life, I, I've always been the person to give you what I ain't got. You know what I mean? Some people didn't stole shit from me looked the other way you know what i mean just to not make it too crazy and i'm not speaking about artists because you know how that could get twisted but i'm just saying generally like i had to really start putting myself first and it wasn't just me walking away it was like this is what i want to do you know what i mean like i had a conversation i met p through doing um everyday struggle you know what i'm saying and me and p we had a few conversations and shit i had already met coach i met coach um when Yachty did the freshman cover because I had Dave, you know what I mean? So we was on set together and somebody introduced us. I had met Coach and all that, like 2016. Mm. And I already knew who he was. But like I met P and we started speaking and he started telling me about his vision and you know what plans he had down the line. And it wasn't just about, like for me, as much as I love Triangle Offense and it's, it's things that I'm still building out with that, aside from it being a label because it's not going to be a label anymore, a management company, I started having to say like, I don't want to be the man no more at a company. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be the fucking star player, you know what I mean? Or the GM. If my skill set is going to complement what's already been going on, then let me do that. So I I just was like, you know, let me, I wanted to take a, a, um, a step back. What kind of shit was were they saying to you about the vision for QC and how it might be different than what you had been doing at more of a traditional label? Well, what I looked at mostly was, you know, the only thing I could really compare QC to that I've been around was Rockefeller. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And Rockefeller had three CEOs, you know what I mean? Of course, we had legendary artists. Kanye, the biggest <laughs> shit, the biggest artist that ever right. ke- that came to fruition out of any artist. But um, I looked at I, I looked at it and I compared it to how they were doing things. And, I, and before I even took the job, I spent a year just building and being around and just speaking and building relationships because to me... It was like, yo, if I'm gonna commit to something, I gotta, I gotta feel comfortable. So um, the vision was like they started a sports division, you oh. know, 
It okay. just, you got QC Sports, which I've always wanted to be in sports. I'm in sports right now. No, but I get the opportunity to talk with the sports department because all of our companies run vertically. We got so they're signing actual athletes? Absolutely. Like professional Absolutely. athletes or college as no, well? No, professional athletes. Okay. You got NBA players, football players, baseball players. Shit, you know what I mean? So I was looking at that and look, thinking about down the line, right? Like, of course, I, I'm, I'm doing music now, but shit. I'm about to be 40. I'm not going to be trying to run to all these cities and, and, and sign artists the way I am now. I might be wanting to sit courtside at the game and, and, and make sure my artist got the biggest endorsement. I mean, make sure my athlete got the biggest endorsement. There. That's down the line. And that's just things that I have the opportunity to learn. It's not necessarily going to happen. So I looked at that. They got quality films, mm. which is another division of the company that's building out stuff on the film side. Solid Foundation, which is the management side. But it's always got to be attractive linking up with a company when they're still very much like linked to the founder, right? Absolutely. Like, you absolutely. know, I'm sure working for Atlantic Records in like the '60s or the '50s or whatever <laughs> yeah, when that shit was founded, you might have really felt like, "Fuck, this is a this is a real thing yeah. that has meaning to it." Whereas it's, it's probably easy to see that with QC the same way that if I met new talent with No Jumper and I could kind of sell them on the idea of No Jumper. Whereas 20 years from now, 30 years from now, maybe I'm gone. Then like it's got to be kind of hard to like sell people on shit when you're like the you know further down the line was that part of the appeal with qc yeah it was like you know the thing about it is like coaching p is like super hands-on right. you know what i mean and one thing i'm really big on i was raised by like out of seven grandkids i'm the only boy you know right. what i mean so i was raised around women my whole life and qc is ran by a lot of strong and intelligent women that got their shit together on another level so it was it was it was a lot of things that factored into it i was like yo i want to go over here and i want to learn and i want to build it's already a house that's built i'm just trying to build another wing mm. you know what i mean i'm trying to put my spin on it and build another wing on it you know while i'm here you know get getting the opportunity is all about what you do with the opportunity and that's one thing i say about me like even my my amazon shit i don't have no manager like i manage myself okay. you know what i'm saying so it's like my amazon deal didn't come from somebody linking me with somebody only thing i will say is is, is karen silver invited me to a party that yg was having out here like 2019 and it's at grammy weekend i went to the, the the party it was at uh what's that shit on highland um lucky strikes okay i went in there I met my man Tim Henshaw, you know what I mean, from from Amazon, and he told me I was on Everyday Struggle. He was like, "Yo, man, like, I fuck with you. If there's anything that we could work out, and that was a year in the making. It took me a year. So I'm I'm the person who, when I was a kid, bro, I, I was just like these kids. I want everything tomorrow, everything tomorrow. But once shit start, then it happened tomorrow. I'm like, okay, I just gotta build it. So for me, it was just like looking at QC situation. I need to go over here, and I need to I need to show them why. They were correct about hiring me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Amazon. I need to show them why y'all was smart for signing me. Because being a media personality is like being an artist. Right. So I got to do what I got to do. What's you know? your actual workload look like with QC, though? Like, are they giving you existing artists that they have on the roster and be like, we want you to help with this, this, oh, and I this wish with I was them? I, listen, I ain't going to lie. Or are you strictly in charge of bringing in new talent? <laughs> do I wish I was working on a little baby album? Absolutely. But right. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> but no, they probably uh, got that. They got yeah, that nah, handled. That, yeah. all, that's, all that's done. That's what I'm saying. But I, not, honestly, like, I wouldn't even... I, I, I wouldn't say that I did, wouldn't want to work on that. Of course, I would let an opportunity, but that's not what I'm here for. Right. Baby's on autopilot. Migos, Yachty, you know, I'm working with the City Girls, okay. you know, right now on their stuff. I'm, I signed new artists. I signed Baby Money. Oh, you know yeah, I'm saying? So I'm, Detroit, yeah. Yeah, so it's like I get the opportunity to to bring in new acts and build them from the ground up. He was supposed know? to do an interview like a week or two ago. What happened? I think his flight got changed or something. But all right, because right, I'm on his body. Him, like, I know, <laughs> I'm on his body. Because he told me he was coming here, and I was actually going to oh, fly okay. here um, with him to just to come so, show support. You right. know what I mean? But yeah, Baby Money's like the newest guy that you know I signed, and I've been like 
super putting my hands on to 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 his projects and we dropped the easy money project we got some other stuff in the works that's coming down the it's line. interesting hearing you say that because i feel like that's one thing that's always kind of kept me from feeling like i could really work with an artist is that i just don't know i don't have the confidence or like the experience to tell artists what to do and i don't even trust my own opinion in well, terms it's not, of like you know, it's not really not what to do though adam like it's, it's really like this right it's like i'll say like for for the most part it's just selective suggestions right and then sometimes with some artists you got to give them the idea and let it be their idea you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying but it's really selective like for me i say like my process with baby money i went to detroit and got in a studio with him and we just sat and he like I, I told him like yo i'm thinking like these type of records for you like we i i will talk about this record once it comes out but i gave him a concept not specifically a concept but i gave a producer like an idea that i had for a beat he made the beat and the shit came exactly not exactly how i thought it was going to be but the idea came to fruition mm. so it's just like you know it's just a showing and proving if i came to if i said adam yo i want no jumper to take on the wayno podcast whatever it is you'll be able to tell me like all right wayno like you could do it i'm down but this is how it's got to be done it's no 100 true i could sit down and watch an hour or two of you yeah. podcasting and give you a whole sheet of notes exactly. and say i think that we should put you with this guy exactly that is easy for me but, but it's the same shit as music compared, yeah but i just <laughs> don't i don't music. know music like that like i know how to listen to it and yeah. like it but i don't know how to build it you know, I've you. never been in that position of having to put a beat together. So I would I would never be able to have a conversation with a producer and be like, I want this kind of beat and I want it to do this, this and this. I, I, I don't even have the language to well, express so that. So the I thing is, like, the, in the way I NR is like, man, like, I just think back to when I was a kid. Right. And I say, like, you know, when I was a kid, I used to always imagine, like, what would it be like to be in a, a room with an artist and be able to have some input? Right. Yeah. And I got those opportunities early at Rockefeller and I got those opportunities with artists I was managing with Davies and other people I managed instead. And it's like now this is this is just me with 20 years of experience not telling you what to do but just selectively suggesting like yo it's, it's, it's like you said like a coach like I could watch I, I've never coached a basketball game ever but my son plays ball and I watch him play and I'm like dog I be with you in, in the gym when you practice like you can fucking lay up with your left hand stop being scared to do it mm. if you miss you miss but just do it again so I'm able to apply that same construct into what I do musically one time I was in the studio with an artist and he said a bar wrong mm -hmm. objectively like <laughs> he said like have when he was supposed to say has mm. or some shit like that where mm -hmm. to me as a person who you know originally like i was a writer and stuff was what i really cared about and mm. I, I care about grammar i care about <laughs> okay. i care about a sentence like sounding correct you right. know even if and it doesn't matter if you're using slang or whatever it's like i just i care about the structure and the integrity of the sentence right and i had to tell him i'm like yo like you got to say like this instead of this and they they did it and i did get a little bit of a high from it where i was mm. like ah now i helped him with that one bar and now i feel a degree more comfortable potentially telling him other things now i don't think i was ever even with that person in the studio again after that yeah but i could see how you could like get into that but it's got to be a tricky fucking line to, to it is to i mean because you know everybody that's in the studio most most of the guys that's in the studio is the homies you know what i mean so right. everything is hot to a lot of them like they mm. be like oh yeah that's fine like he the best he the exactly best, he the best. Yeah. but at the same time i think when an objective opinion comes in as long it's all in communication right mm. like as long as you're not doing something to tear the artist down and you just being honest and transparent with them like like yo i think you should you know try it like this because you got artists that's like fuck you can't tell me nothing like what kind of car you drive you don't right. drive my car you what kind of watch you got right. like a, a lot of artists they identify with what they see so if, if you ain't doing what they doing then they don't want to listen and but maybe if you were kanye they would just take your advice 
Oh, yeah, I, I don't think any. Yeah, but it's like it's a little different with you, where they might know that you have a bunch of industry experience, but I mean, you're not Timberland. It's not I mean, like in their face. I, I'm this not, is look at his life experience. I look at it like this, right? Like I haven't been doing what I've been doing for so long just because I'm a nice guy, right? You know what I'm saying? Like I'm good at what I do, and I've and I have. If if anything, now don't get me wrong. Like for the records that I have worked on, do I have? I don't have fucking number one Billboard records. You know what I'm saying? But I have projects that I've worked on. I have artists that I've worked with. And I could show you my resume and been like, yeah, this is what I did. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And and what I learned about it is because when I was at Rockefeller, I used to always be so tied to the young guns. I thought that I couldn't have a career outside of them. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, it kind of prevented me and gave me that like apprehension on like, damn, I can't really do this. All I know is them. But it's just the same shit. Like you, if you're able to be able to say, all right, I can suggest this for this person, you can go back and tell them like, yo, you should try it this way. You know what I mean? And it's all based on your experience. So like, I don't. I don't trip off shit, man. I'm mm. blessed to be in the position I'm in. I mean, you seem like a real people person where you get that connection to an artist and you're, you're good at building an actual friendship and an actual relationship. Yeah. And you don't mind sort of digging in on the details of what might be going on in their career. Like when you're saying mm. like you were going to fly out to L.A. to do a little media run with one of your artists. Mm -hmm. Like for me, when I think about what I'm doing with my time, it's like the idea of like going on a flight to just help one of my guys out to do something it's uh -huh. like holy fuck that feels like such an investment of time i feel like that kind of thing comes more naturally to you yeah i mean i've been doing it for so long yeah. but but i think that you know you also need to be able to show like the support on every level it's like baby money about to go on tour with babyface right i'm gonna try to pop in at least three dates you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying it's like i just went to coachella you know what i mean to see the city girls you know and they've been working fucking three almost four months on their performance like you know what i mean and and they they got it together and sometimes you just need to see the people that was in the studio with you it ain't got it like i'm not while they performing i'm not telling them what the fuck to do or suggesting hey spin like this or twerk like that i ain't doing none of that right. but it's just good to like for them to look over and be like oh well he's here when i'm in the studio when i'm when he's in the office he calls me and checks in on me when he's at home he calls so when when i'm trying to get things done you know that i'm on your side like one, one thing i always say about like being at a label is you you ever see them conversations about artists say oh no bad the label don't do nothing uh. it's not necessarily about doing something it's about just being there for support the label is not there to hurt you they there to help you, you right. know what i'm saying if you don't have a relationship with the label if you feel like it's fucked them they're gonna feel like fuck you mm. you know what i'm saying it, it goes hand in hand and a lot of people do sign to whack-ass labels that have no idea how to market them but then also a lot of artists signed to like good labels that are actually making intelligent decisions about your career but they yeah. just don't possess the ability to understand what the fuck the label is trying to pull off yeah i think but, but see what people don't get a chance to see when it comes to these labels that it's like even for me like for me to be say i i do a and r and i'm gonna end all be all that's some bullshit it's tons of people that put work in day and night like a label is just like any other fucking job costco is not only ran by the motherfuckers that's in there doing stock or the people that's on the cash registers that shit is a whole corporation mm. So in order for us to build some shit up, everybody got to be on the same page. And I think that when those situations happen, when you sign to a label that um, doesn't know how to market or whatever the case may be, it might be the management. Shit, it might be the artist. Most times it'd be the artist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like most times it's the artist. But the thing about it is, is like, my whole thing is this. I don't give a fuck who take the last second shot. If, if you if, if you want a basketball, I compare everything to basketball. If you play for the fucking uh, Golden State Warriors and you ain't played a whole fucking season... And you just get in and make one defensive play, and y'all win a championship, you still get a ring. Mm. Everybody gets, still gets a ring because it's a collaborative effort among, amongst the team. It's not nobody, you know how everybody be on here talking about ain't bigger than the program? You're not. Right. You ain't bigger than the, you ain't bigger than this shit. It, it's about us. It's not about you. You know what I mean? It's a weird 
lane that you're in or a weird job to have because it's like you're you're basically hired to place bets, right? Yeah. Because if you just so happen to sign somebody who turns into little Dirk, then you're a fucking legend just off that. Yeah. Whereas you could sign 20 other artists that might have been indistinguishable at the time that you signed them from a little Dirk at that stage in his mm-hmm. career and for various reasons. If they, you know, you could have a guy who's the best AR in the world mm-hmm. and never has a real knockout smash throughout his whole career just because he didn't have enough time to really like get that, that perfect one off. Well, I'm saying, you know, I'm happy you said that because even as, even for artists, right? This is why I try to tell artists, right? Like you look at Lil Dirk, for instance. Lil Dirk, while he's selling 46,000 his fifth or sixth week and got the number one album again and all of that, that shit is a 10-year... He's only 29 years old, mm. right? Like, this is a 10-year career. I mean, if you told me in 2013 that he was still going to be big now, I would have said no. Bro, he... Wait, I would have never believed that he would be that guy. You don't hear... And no disrespect, Chief yeah, Keith no is Chief Keith. at all, yeah. But he ain't Lil Dirk today, and but that's development. Lil Dirk was a coke boy. He was running around with <laughs> slow bucks in them in, in New York for a while. He was hanging real strong around Dream Chasers. He, but he was around Future, Gotti. And I think that what he did was every situation, every opportunity he got to be around, he just picked up little pieces. Mm. He picked up little pieces. And him and his team, like, shouts out to OTF. Like, everybody, when people bring up OTF, they bring up all the negative shit. But, man, shout out to my brother Dilla, man. Like, you know, you Olu, like, you look at his team. Man, he's a major artist, but that's not something that happens overnight. Mm, I mean, that's really not something that happens overnight. And a lot of times you as an A&R, you've moved on to other another label or another situation, et cetera, by the time that the artist that you signed actually gets to that point, right? Yeah. And, and there's got to be a lot of times where you feel like, fuck, I didn't get the credit I deserve for that. Yes and no, because sometimes, and this is what I was about to say about like artists, right? Like, you don't have to be little Dirk to be successful. Like, you don't have to sell, you don't have to be gold and platinum to be successful. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can be, there's tons of artists that fucking make hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe a million dollars a year, just fucking touring. Mm -hmm. Bro, I was telling this, like, I was saying this to, I remember Just Blaze told, um, Just Blaze was always going to Japan back in the day, right? And he used to always come back and tell, he would tell the young guns how big they was in Japan. And Japan's on the other side of the fucking world, and you can't see it. But I remember I went to, um, I went to Japan when I was managing Dave East. And one of the dudes asked me, he said, you work with the Young Guns, right? I'm like, yeah, I FaceTime Young Chris, and he lost his mind. Mm. And I'm like, yo, now, no disrespect, like, like Young Chris is my brother. I love him to double. He ain't had a hit in a long time. Right. But Young Chris could fucking go to Japan right now and just do a tour in Osaka, Shibuya, all, the, all these places, doing shows, and don't know that you got this money over there. When I was in, like, every time I go to Asia, after a few days, I start mm-hmm. to think, if I moved here... I would be the tallest person here. <laughs> like, I would be the person. Oh, no, I don't want to say, yo. like, the most followers or the most well-known or whatever, because obviously they love the shit that they love. But if I were to move to Asia, I could just bro, be, they, like, the one-of-a-kind-ass dude You had East there. on here before, right? Yeah, yeah. Bro, when we... And I didn't have the balls to ask him about you, because you told me he wouldn't say anything. Yeah, I told you he was going to say nothing. Like, <laughs> I said, I'm like, yo, I'm going to ask Dave East about you. And you were like... Good luck. No, I ain't gonna. I'm gonna you keep it. You just said good luck. We we, we wasn't all right for a minute, but we good now. Oh really? You know yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Now we good now. He reached out to me after my pops passed. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh wow. But and we should have like we had, me and him had a little spat one time. You know what I mean? But between us, but nobody. You know, it was just our own shit. But like he he reached out to me because him and my dad had their own relationship when they would see each other. Oh wow. You know what I'm saying so when when my when my dad passed, like he re, he's like yo, he said, nigga, I I know how much you and your dad like I know what that was. 
I just want to let you know, like, I'm here for you. You know what I mean? And it lifted a weight off of my shoulders because, you know, we did have we did have our disagreements and we wasn't fucking... This is a person that, that I pray with every day. Mm. I mean, every Friday, we went to Juma. We used to pray together. So, like, we it, it, it hurt both of us to not be speaking. You know what I'm saying? But, like, when he reached out about that, his man Shooter had passed. And I, I, I was... My pride was in the way and I didn't reach out for that. And Shooter was, like, a close friend of Dave. We spent a lot of time on the road together and I know that that shit hurt him. And I apologize for not reaching about... about excuse me. I apologize for not reaching about regarding Shooter. Right. And, you know, ever since then, we just... Like, we've been good. Like, we speak... You know what I mean? We speak and shit. We joke. We just joke all the time now. You know what I right. mean? Well, that's good, yeah. man, because, yeah, I mean, it's always weird when you have that close friendship that turns into, I don't know if it was ever, like, hatred or, you know, at the very least, just not wanting now, to speak to yo, each other. I'm going to keep it 100. I could honestly say, and he'll probably say the same thing, as much as we didn't fuck with each other, we love each other. Like, mm -hmm. I really got genuine love. I watched this man, like, we got out the hood together. Like, I told Dave the day I, like, told him I wanted to manage him, I asked him, I said, yo, do anybody manage you? You ain't. And I was living in the project, and he was living in the project. He said, no, I'm just doing this, you know, myself. I said, I promise you I'm going to make you rich. And I didn't even know how I was going to do it. I just knew I was going to do it because I knew what his talent level and my, my experience of what I had, what I could do. So we never, we never hated each other, but we had a strong dislike for each other for a minute. Mm. We did have a strong dislike for each other for a minute. But, it, but that was for us, though. That's why every time people would ask, yo, what's going on with you and Dave? I'd be like, yeah, you know, I, I would keep it cordial. Like, yeah, you know, he good. He over there. I'm over mm. here. But... That was for us, and then even when we got a chance to speak, we spoke about that. You it's know? good though because if you guys had said "fuck each other" in the media, then now all of a sudden reconnecting becomes a totally Bro, different thing. Bro, I took Dave right? to become Muslim. I would never do that. I took that man to take a shahada. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's a whole another level of understanding and brotherhood that ain't got shit to do with media. Right. That's my faith. Like Islam is my faith, so like I would never. Man, of course, you think everybody and their mother when they found out we wasn't working together. Yo, I want to interview you. Tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. I'm like, right. ain't nobody. Like, I just, it ain't nobody. And he did, he did the same thing. Respectfully, he did a, a media run and people used to seeing us together. And mm. people were like, yo, Will Wayne, no. He just, he didn't want to talk about it. But that shit pays off in the long run because everybody for the rest of your career will look at you as somebody who deals with it gracefully when you exit a situation. You yeah, know? I mean, I, I ain't going to say I always want to deal with it gracefully. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm, I ain't going to lie. I, I don't like being a bigger person. Like, <laughs> being a bigger a bigger person is a, a fucking responsibility that I hate because I've even had people say little, and not him, but like other people that I used to work with in different times say different shit about me. I'm like, like I'm going to keep it 100, bro. I don't give a fuck, man. Mm. I come from, like, my family is poor, bro. But my, it like, must we, have been I tempting too, because he's the big artist and you're the lesser known industry guy at the time. About, about how, so there's more for you to gain from doing a say cheese interview and saying, "Hey, it ain't fuck this dude." Nothing for me dude. to gain out of that. It's not nothing for me to gain out of that. You wanna know why? Because I'm not going never. I'm not going never uh, talk negative or down or, or air my grievances in the public with nobody, especially a person I used to bump my head with, pray with. Mm. We sat together, we prayed together, we cried together. You know what I'm saying? Like. That, that 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 man was I remember when I was managing East, I remember one of my little cousins got into a car accident. They said she was gonna live and I was at at uh one of his meet and greets or something and he was like, just go ahead, bro. Like, you know what I mean? Like we've been through a lot of shit together, so I would never would like never. A lot of people couldn't say the same though. Yeah, that's them people though. Mm. You feel me? Like that that's what that's what make me different between all of them. But that 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 comes from my humility in that space comes from bro, I didn't grow up. The, how I live, I never imagined living like this. So it's mm -hmm. like, I'm grateful. Like every day, I'm I'm just starting to accept what's going on for me. You feel me? Like I I just started going to therapy and shit. I'm just starting to accept what's going on for me because 
I sometimes felt like I wasn't deserving or I wasn't good enough or I shouldn't have, you know what I mean, based on my background, based on things I've been through. So it's like I'm learning how to accept what's for me your now dad, at 39. Your dad passed and made you want to pursue therapy? Um, Nah, not really. Like, yeah, yes and no. Right. My, my dad passed, like the shit happened like so fast, bro. Like my dad... Um, it was his, his, uh, his birthday, September 4th. I took him to the doctor. He told me he ain't been feeling well. My little brother had told me he was, that my dad wasn't feeling well and shit. And I, I was, I, I came to my dad's crib on the third to clean up his crib, like just for him and shit. And my dad, he's 70 years old, but he's pretty active. My dad was still in the street. Mm. You know what I mean? And, um. You got that New York energy still? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm going to tell you something he said to a dude one time when he didn't know the dude was my, my, my man and he said some shit to me. But, um. My dad, he, uh, I took him on September, his birthday, September 4th. I'm like, yo, let's go to the hospital. He's like, nah, let's go tomorrow. I take him September 5th, that Saturday. And um, he's like, they told us he had cancer. There was nothing he could do, they could do about it. He passed the 25th, like that, boom. Like, I had this man my whole life, like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't grow up in a household with my dad, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm his sixth kid out of eight kids. We all got different mothers. Right. And, and, and me and him had the, the closest relationship. I mean, you always think you're gonna, like when you think about your parents you passing, forever. you think that you're gonna at least like know, and then it's gonna happen a year later or two years. Like you think you're I, gonna have I, a I runway. Never, yeah, I didn't emotionally. I, I thought that my father would be like less active. Like once I found out how sick he was, mm. I was like, how the fuck was he? Do-? So the day, like the the day bef- that I had came to his crib to clean up his crib, him and my my son got a like you'd have thought my son is his son. That's right. how tight they is, right? My son was with me. He made my son uh come downstairs. I stayed in the crib and cleaned up. He he drove and went and see my he drove to Harlem and went and see my mom's. So he I don't know what he talked about with my son that day, but they stayed together that whole entire day. And um when I found out he was sick, I took him to the hospital a day, like two days later, when he could barely walk. I was like, how the fuck did he even drive? I didn't even know how he was driving. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But that was just a testament to my pop strip. But the, the reason why, like, um, the, the biggest takeaway from my, my whole shit with my dad was, and what made me want to go to therapy, in his demise, I didn't get a chance to be his son. Mm. Like, I, he put me in charge of everything. He said, yo, this was going to happen. When you got to do my funeral, you're going to do it like this. You're going to make sure X amount, this, give this person this money, get that person that money, do this. I got these two cars, sell them shits. Da, da, da. He told me everything. Wow. And he told me at his funeral not to cry. He like, yo, bro, still to this day, I don't know how I got through that day without shutting one tear. Wow. And and the thing that fucked me up about it was I was mad resentful because I felt like he did something to me. Right. Like I felt like he har- like like he he put that shit on me, was harming me. You know what I mean? So I just wanted the, the what I learned through that though is I was a certain person, like even the last time I did the interview with uh-huh. you. That person is not who I am today, cause that's the guy who had his pops. Mm. I'm a different person now, so I I had to learn how to like learn myself again. Love my I didn't love myself. I, I had to learn all these different things about myself again, and I was hiding it behind a lot of shit. Wow, you know what I mean? But yeah, my dad, man, he was forced to be wrecked. But the shit I was gonna tell you that he said to a dude, there's an artist I was managing at the time. He was shooting a video in the Bronx, and it's these two, this this dude that we know, he an artist, and his man, they was just driving by. So my father coming across the street, and they and they didn't know that my father's right there, but they talking to my other man, and they like, where we know that nigga ain't good over here in the Bronx, and my and they hurt, and my and my father hurt him. He said, who the fuck said my son ain't good? My son good anywhere? Who y'all? And I was like, nah, chill. He, my at this time, my father's like sixty, 
67 years old. Right. <laughs> he's like, and he's still on bullshit time. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah but do you, you feel like your dad kind of like denied you the right to be a child in, in his that passing? moment? Yeah. Because you want to be able to just I mean, cry I, I was and still just doing let it all struggle. out, right? So I had never missed an episode of Everyday Struggle until my dad got sick. Mm. I was still doing Everyday Struggle. Cause I, I I didn't know like it got really really serious like my had my dad had to go to a hospice you know that's the last step before you right. you pass so at, when he had to go to the hospital, I was just telling them every day like yo I'm just letting y'all know now like I don't know like what's going on with my dad I might need some time off so I would do everyday struggle and I would go to my dad crib you know I would I was living in Jersey I would drive to the Bronx you know go sit in the, sit in the crib with him just make sure I could take him I'm not a nurse but I did whatever I could but it got to the point where I couldn't care for him anymore. And my biggest fear was my little brother. He's 23. Like he, and that's the only kid that ever lived with my dad out the eight. Mm. Was my little brother waking up and seeing my dad passed in the room. So I had to put him in the hospital. You know what I'm saying? So, like I didn't get a chance to really. I wasn't getting a chance to greet, like accept what was going on because mm. it was like business. He told me like, yo, listen, you the one that got to handle all this shit. So you do this and stand the third. So at that point, I didn't get the luxury. That was a luxury for everybody else to be able to just cry and be sad. I didn't I mean, get you, none of you that You want to be able to just reflect on it and just be in your feelings and, and feel that Hell sadness. Yeah. If you Hell ever want to yeah. not be sad again over it, you're going to have to really just sit in that oh, sadness no, but, and be willing to deal with it. But then meanwhile, he's like, no, you got to sell these cars for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. like, so all of, a, all of a sudden you're a part-time fucking car salesman. <laughs> no, that's a fact. I I, I'm pissed off at my dad. dad imagining him telling me that. No, but my dad, bro, my dad, I ain't going to front. My dad been preparing me for his death since I was like seven, eight years old. Right. Because when he was in the street. So my dad used to tell me shit like, I didn't know, like when I was seven, eight years old, I didn't really like understand. Like my dad was the number man and my dad did other shit in the street. But I didn't understand like what he was doing when I was a kid. So he used to tell me shit like, Wayne, if I, if I die... And I'd be like, I'm eight years old. I'm like, what is he talking about if you die? Like, I'm like, I, I didn't really even understand what death was at eight years old. I'm like, what is he talking about? But that's because he was living a lifestyle where he didn't know what was going to come to him. Like, right. my dad been through mad shit. You know what I'm saying? So he didn't, he didn't know what was going to come to him, but he just to always tell me that. So he was always preparing me. And he prepared himself so it kind of softened the blow, mm. in a sense. Like, my dad took care of his own funeral. You know what I mean? Like, he took care of his... Everything, you know what I mean? I mean he, he made, my dad made me my, my youngest brother's godfather when I was 16. Wow. And I didn't, I'm like, why the fuck, why the fuck do I got to go to church and get baptized and do all that? I'm like, I was mad because I'm a 16-year-old kid. Right. But once my, my father passed, I understood why. Because now my, I'm the only person my little brother has. Right. You know what I mean? So, I, you know, I, I help him and try to just help him become a man. You was, know what I mean? was it hard for you to, like, keep hustling and keep being this, like, person that you've built yourself into where you're kind of known for your work ethic, right? Like, was it hard to to be that stuff? Bro, I'm happy you said that. You know my father? Yo, my father, when, they, when them people came in that room and told me that my father was sick and there was nothing he could, he could do, he said to me, he said, listen, he said, um... What the fuck did he say? He said, uh, I'm trying to catch this shit, Adam. He said, yo, listen, it's going to be days when you're going to miss me. It's going to be easy days. He said, it's going to be days where it's real easy for you, mm. but it's going to be days when it's really hard. Throughout it all, I want you to keep your work ethic up because he said, I love you because you're my son, but I respect you as a man because your work ethic. So he's like, he like, I don't give a fuck what happened. Don't you dare stop. He said, you because at this time I was trying to buy a house mm. and all that shit in Atlanta. He like, don't you dare he said, you going to go work at QC? Go do that shit. You going to um, buy a house? You going to do this for your mom? You going to do this for your family? Go do everything because that's what I respect you for. So 
I didn't like I I, I really didn't stop doing anything. Mm-hmm. Like but when we, I, I took off those two weeks, um, and then when I came back to EDS, you know, I had never I had never took a day off. So, you know, from EDS. So I wanted to share with the viewers why it wasn't for no clout or nothing. I just wanted to share because I had learned while I was off, I'm seeing people comment. I'm still looking at social media and I'm seeing people saying, like, damn, we ain't know how much we needed Wayno on this show until he's not on here no more. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm seeing people comment like, where's Wayno at? Like, I hope he's good, because they said I was dealing with a personal matter. But when I when I was able to express and share what I went through with my father, it was a, like a pour out of like supporters mm-hmm. that just was like, yo, like, we happy that you said that because I went through that or mm-hmm. I'm going through that right now. You know what you feel me? So it was cool. I mean, it's something that everybody has to go through at some yeah. point, but that most people are just absolutely petrified of, myself included, where it's like kind of my worst nightmare to have to deal with that with my parents, even though I know it's coming eventually, you know? Yeah. it's. But you know what the thing is, too? It's like, I mean, I had seen, I seen a lot of death in my life, man. And I seen, um, I just seen a casket. It, it was crazy. That same year, one of my son's friends died and he was... 13 at the time was he 13 no he was 12 at the time one of my son's friends had passed or whatever so it was like it was a really 2020 was a fucking crazy year right but it was like dealing with that with my parents i knew that i was gonna come but it 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 rose in awareness in me Mm. it was like yo because even how my father had his shit together he didn't have his shit together how i would i want to have my shit together so i didn't i started putting this countdown in my head of like Cause I, I remember my father when he's my age at 39 and what he was doing. I'm like, now nah, I gotta get, I gotta have my shit lined up a certain way. Cause if something happened, I gotta make sure my family good. But mm. you can't live life like that. Feel me? Like you gotta live life, just living it. Like life, just live in love. You know what I'm saying? You gotta live in love. That's the only way to live because you can't get caught up on that shit. Cause like you said, it's something that everybody gotta go through. Do you ever worry about your work ethic though? Like, like you might go a little too hard or that? You, Absolutely. Yeah. When, when when have you felt like that? Like. What's your version of taking it too far to an extreme? Man, I mean, the fucked up thing about it is, is like being a parent, and you know this, like you a parent now, mm-hmm. like you gonna miss shit. Yeah. I got three, so it's a lot of shit I miss. Like my my daughter had a track meet, and she she kicked ass that day. You know what I mean? And I didn't get a chance to see it because I had a, a a meeting. My daughter in jujitsu, she got two strikes on her belt. She got her second strike, and I put her in jujitsu. Wow. And I, you know, I wanted to be there for that because I put her in jujitsu because I was taking jujitsu and I had took a step back and I was like, I want my baby to do it. Mm. And she's like, since I put her in it, she's been thriving. So I missed that. So what I've been learning is, is now that I'm getting older is to work a little bit smarter. Mm. It's like, you can't, you can't do everything. You can't be available. I can't sign everybody. I can't fucking A&R everybody. I can't manage everybody. But what I learned is, is like just for my own mental, because the shit that we do in music is this shit, everybody be wanting to be in it. This shit not easy. Mm. It's not easy. Like. As as good as it is, I have expectations. It's like being on a fucking team. Like if you play on a team and you a star player, they like, yeah, motherfucker, you better average fifteen points. Right. You better you better get you a steal or two. You better make some plays. So it's like, what I do is is now I'm just become a little bit smarter in how I do where I get sleep. I'm learning to fucking not answer my phone. Right. You know what I mean? I, I can't answer all the time. I'm learning to just instead of sleep rest. Mm. You know what I mean? Do more things for my mental health. Like I had a fucking some of the best parts of my day is, is bird watching. I got a, a, a bird feeder on the back of my house, and I just put food in that shit and sit there for an hour, two hours, just watching birds fight over food and shit. That sounds very therapeutic. It is. So it's just little things. You know, as you get older, like, you you do so much stuff. You got to start finding things to motivate you or push you, and I just, you know, find, find those things. Yeah, like, sometimes I'll 
you know, early on in having my kid, I realized like you're spending too much fucking time on your phone while you're around your kid, yeah. which I'm sure we all deal with. Yeah. And the other day I left my phone in the other room and I was just playing with my kid in her room. And I realized it had been like an hour mm -hmm. and I didn't even think about my phone. I was so caught up in playing with these fucking blocks. But and I'm just like, great, right? okay, at least right there, that was a nice chunk where I fucking wasn't thinking about the 5 million other things that I have going yeah. on in my life. Cause it's, it's hard to get to that point, man. Not, I'm going to keep it a hundred, man. That's all that matter, man. Family, like, like that's all that mattered for real, you know. I didn't grow up. I, I grew up with um. Like I wasn't close to my dad's family. Like my 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 dad's family is it's a lot of them in Brooklyn. It's a lot of them in Newark. But we based in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and mm -hmm. they they used to send me out there for summers to go to Fayetteville. I hated that shit when I was a kid, but um, now that I'm getting older, I'm realizing that like my connection to who my father and my well, my father was the oldest of five kids and all of them passed like my 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 dad passed in September my my aunt who is his little sister she passed in January in 2021 mm. so it was like boom boom you know what i mean so it's like the only thing that's going to matter and and it, you know what it is it's them kids man mm. my look my grandmother passed 2021 as well you know what i mean i was her only grandson and with the biggest takeaway i seen when people were speaking about her everybody that spoke about her talked about how they felt when she treated them as when she was a child, like her, her nephew, he was 60 years old. My grandmother was 89. And he, he started, when he started talking at her funeral, all he was talking about was how she would, he would come over the house and she would put on eight track tapes and let him dance and have fun. So the biggest thing, the reason why I'm saying that is because if you got family, you got, you got to make sure, like if, if you and your cousins might not be seeing eye to eye, your brother, whatever, make sure you in them little ones lives. Cause when all our days come, that's all they going to remember. That's crazy no, because, that, you know, think about how focused we are on what we're accomplishing with ourselves yeah. in our adult life. Mm -hmm. And then when she passed, everybody's remembering these like really, really pure childhood memories. Because you know? as a kid, yo, bro, I kid you not. I can't tell you what the fuck I ate on, on last Friday. I can't tell you what clothes I wore, but I could tell you my I could tell you shit. Every emotion I felt good or bad from the time I was four years old up until right now, mm. because it, it, kids is like trauma. I feel like trauma. I don't know what the the opposite of trauma would be, right? But like when you when you have a good when you feel a bad moment and you feel a good moment and you a kid, that's the only things you remember. All mm. the in between shit is a blur. But you remember that teacher that treated you like shit. Mm. But you remember the teacher that treated you real nice too, yeah. right? But you remember and 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 that's why I'm saying like as adults, we be beefing over. Oh, my sister don't talk to her because. Uh, that bitch ain't we we let her borrow some money she ain't just all types of crazy ass scenarios and not thinking about your little cousin right or your nephew or your whomever and that's all we have because the ones that come behind us is all all we have is them right it when, when the day when I go my nieces and nephews all they gonna say they're not gonna talk about my my uncle used to do no jumper when you know he was doing this that they're gonna be like yo my uncle called me when Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness came out to see if I went and seen it or not because he was excited about it. Mm. And that's what's really important. And I'm, I'm noticing that and learning that now. Like, that's why, like, I feel, I don't, I would never say born again, but I feel like I got a new win as to the person I am because approaching 40, I don't feel, like, I don't, when I was a kid, you know, watching TV, 40 was Carl Winslow. Mm. You know what I mean? 40 was motherfucking Uncle Phil. Like, that's what we thought when we were kids of a 40-year-old person as them being this old person that can't move around or right. do much for themselves or whatever, television-wise. But now me being 40, I'm like, man, I still, 
I enjoy going online and playing 2K and smoking people. I enjoy playing Mortal Kombat and Ghost of Tsushima. I enjoy all these. I enjoy listening to K Flocks and you know the, the the young artists coming out of the West Coast and all that shit. I, I enjoy. I'm never gonna be too old to enjoy myself. And now that I'm oldest, like just pay it forward for the younger ones. You know what I mean, and family. The, and that's the weird thing is when I think back to when I was. 22 mm-hmm. and i was looking at 40 year old guys in the rap game and <laughs> in some cases you know looking up to them and thinking that they're the fucking gods of this shit right but then in other situations thinking like yo this dude is corny as fuck he has that's no cr- clue about how whack he is etc and that's what's weird as you get closer to 40 is you try to see yourself from the eyes of an 18 year old and you're like do they still think i'm lit or am i starting to seem kind of goofy to them like you you don't really know and you're always kind of trying to guess what the perception of you is so you know what's so funny that's like Remember when they was having that whole future uh, Jay-Z versus debate and shit, which would, shit would never happen, but it's just like fantasy football, right? right. It's like, I was, I remember my, one of my homies was like, man, future da-da-da, he got the youth, bro. He got this down the third. And I was like... He's so, 40. But, but no, but look, but look, real quick though. Yeah. I'm like, so everybody who's a fan of Jay-Z just vanished off the earth? Like, right. so, no, so, so everybody who, even for Lil Wayne, right? Because I was saying about Lil Wayne, it's like, all right, if you put Lil Wayne up against anybody that's the youth, yeah, the youth has the youth, but... These people still exist that love their music. That's why you, no matter how old we are, Jay-Z is 50-something. We still get excited for a Jay-Z verse. Mm. Because I think that the reason why, and a lot of people do praise him or whatever, but what I like about Jay-Z is like, he's the example for every younger artist that wants to have a long-term career. Mm. Because they could look and be like, damn, man, like, I don't know if I'm going to be, you know, if I'm going to make it to that age, but if I do... That's what I got to look at. When I interviewed Kodak, he said that shit. Kodak was like, man, he said shit. I'm going to keep... He said, I ain't going to stop rapping. He like, I don't give a fuck. When I'm 40-some years old, I'm going to throw me a Kango on or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll be older, but I'm going to still rap. You feel right. me? So we got to give some something to look forward to. Yeah, no. Jay-Z has always just had a way of like kicking everything that he was having, like every part of his brand mm-hmm. that he, he booted it out of his life before it became lame. Like he, he didn't do anything into the dirt. You know, every rapper right. you know, they'll like put out five albums that nobody gives a fuck about before they retire. With mm-hmm. him, he, he realized at a certain point that maybe he didn't want to be the guy putting out an album every year. So he just made his music very, very rare. You only, you, you could pay attention to an album every couple of years, right. whereas an album every year is very hard for the people that's to hone hard. in on. But I think like that, that's what's about to start happening to Drake in a sense of like, because mm. my, my son is about to be 15 years old. I remember one time I asked him, I was like, yo, you listen to Drake? He's like, I don't listen to Drake. I'm like, you don't listen to Drake? I'm, I'm like, the fuck? How you don't listen to Drake? He like, I listen to Dirk. He like, I listen to Dirk or Young Boy. You know what I mean? Like, they don't, he don't listen to, to, to um, and I had this conversation with um, Charlemagne one time. We was talking about, like, just errors and shit. And I was saying that, like, yeah, Drake, the guy below Baby, like, is the one that's approaching. I felt like he was the one that's approaching how Lil Wayne was approaching when Jay was still a guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. Jay was still a guy. Everybody loved him. He still sold two to three million records every album. But Lil Wayne was creeping up. And his skill set and what he was doing was for the youth at that time. Not that he's better. I don't think Lil Wayne is better than Jay-Z. But at that time, he for that generation, he's they Jay-Z. Right. So it's like, Drake is, to me, he, it's undeniable that he one of the greatest artists of all time. But... A 12-year-old kid or a 13-year-old kid who was three years old when Best I Ever Had came out or won is don't see the value in a Drake. Right. And they going to be telling, like the Drake fans, watch in 10 years when Drake, how old is Drake? is 30, like five or something, right? Something like that, yeah. He's like 35. Watching like five years when you fucking 33 and your kid is nine or 10. Right. Well, you, you had a kid at 23, you 33, and now your kid is 10 and you telling them Drake. And they like, Drake? <laughs> 
man, I'm with Soldier Dragon or some shit. You know what I mean? Like, I ain't listening to no fucking Drake. They going, right. and you going to think that they crazy, but they not. I mean, think you about know? when I was a kid listening to Tupac and Biggie and all this shit. Mm -hmm. I mean, Michael Jackson was a current artist at that right. point. Now, of course, I knew of Michael Jackson and I listened to some amount of him. He's on the radio every fucking second and all this shit. Mm -hmm. But it's not like I was looking at Michael Jackson like he was like his narrative related to mine you know i'm looking at really these... in the biggie and tupac what you Hell doing yeah. up in new, new hampshire dog. i mean yo what what i was doing versus what i thought i was doing nah. i don't know but yeah, you know what i'm saying like you, when, when you can't remember a time without an artist then it can be really hard for you to like be that excited about it. and you want but this is the cheat code when it comes to drake is that drake hits the pop market he hits the rap market and he hits the r&b market right you look at somebody like Lil Baby. Lil Baby's such an insanely hot rapper, mm -hmm. but Lil Baby's basically just appealing to the rap market. Right, right, Drake right. is able to do these ridiculous album sales because he's appealing to so many people. Well, that's because and he I does feel so like many that, genres of music. Yeah, too. it's kind of like a delay that we're having in terms of really putting somebody on Drake's level because he's able to do these ridiculous album sales from appealing to so many people. And it's, it's hard to imagine Lil Baby getting to that point, right? Well, I mean... Yes and no. I would say that the reason why it's not hard to imagine him being to that point because when he came out five years ago, and this is when Baby came out five years ago, I had no intention on being with no QC ever in life. Mm. He was in nowhere. Like when even when even when the song with Drake came out, wham wham wham, bitch, I'm the baby. Nobody didn't think this five years later they'd be discussing him it was a cool song but there's a lot of artists that have that kind of look where they have right. one dope drake feature and they don't right. really go that so crazy i from say there. the thing the, the most shocking thing about little baby is his his awareness to look at something and say oh i could do that right because it's like that now he's growing now drake is fucking a generational talent that's lightning in the bottle he ain't now this I, I hate when people say michael jackson only because people look at numbers right i just seen some clip that came out the other day you seen michael jackson trying to leave the airport no there was some clip that like went viral some old clip of michael jackson trying to leave the airport crazy and, paparazzi and shit bro do you ever see michael jackson at the remember when he put the baby out the window yeah bro it was like it was like fifty thousand. it should look like coachella it was like fifty thousand people outside of his Ooh. hotel so I'm, I, I would never take nothing away from Drake as an artist, but when people compare, my dad told me this shit, yo. We had this, 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 this debate about who's the best dunker, right, in basketball. And I said, to me, it was Vince Carter. I, like, if for my era, I'm born in 1982, it's Vince Carter. And I, I watched Michael Jordan from the time I was nine up until he stopped playing ball, but it's Vince Carter. And my dad was like, yeah, but for me, like, you can't say shit to me about Dr. J. And then I was like, he said, but but then a kid that's growing up in the mid 2000s is going to be Blake Griffin for them. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, mm -hmm. it's all about based on your era. Like everybody that's the best in your era is going to be the best to you. Mm -hmm. We're never going to put, because me and academics used to have that debate all the time, right? Like about Jay-Z and Drake. And he's like, what do you think is going to put Drake over Jay-Z? And I was like, nothing. Like it's not sales to me. It's like, it's, to me, for me, it's all ability, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that Drake has a similar ability when it comes to rapping. But to me, it's just... When Jay was the Jay, that was undeniable. So how, if if you're entitled to your opinion, act about how you feel about Drake, how am I not entitled to my opinion? I'm ten years older than you. Right. You feel what I'm saying? But there is that desire to like figure out a rapper's attributes because it's so easy in comparison to have the conversation about who's the best basketball player because you could say this person. We don't respect this. history in rap though. 
Right, but it's also so much opinion. That so much of it is yeah. objective. There's so many different things you could base it on. There's there's an acknowledgement that we all have that some of the best rappers of all time didn't really sell shit, and some mm, uh, some absolutely yeah. trash artists sold a shitload of records. But so it, 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 it could be tricky to figure out how to measure them up against each other. No, right? that's a fact because I always have this debate with people who don't listen to Future, right? Who people who think that Future just make club bangers, and I'm like, you never like. Streets Calling was the first time I ever heard Future. It wasn't filled with club bangers. It was a lot of street on there. Like, they did Push and P. A lot of people never heard Future do Power to P mm. with him and Rocco, where they rapping the P letter. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it, it, people just don't, I feel like people don't respect, in, in hip-hop specifically, we don't respect shit till it's gone. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you'll get your flowers, like, even before Kobe passed, they still, he got his praises. He got his, his ceremony, his the the, the, the his uh, jersey going into the rafters. Hey, I guess that. In hip-hop, it's like, we can't celebrate what happened before because that's old. Mm. And that's ridiculous. Yeah. Because once they passed, when they died, and everybody, oh, he was the best. Oh, my God. So why I can't be that, why they hit? Now, I don't believe that we should... You can't get the same treatment when you die when you're alive. But and but that's if you're lucky enough to even die while your fan base is still intact. Like man, that. the way these kids is dying now. This There's a, is... a lot of times you see an actor or some shit who dies when they're 70 or 80, and it's a fucking ripple on social media. Even though you know that person was one of the top stars of their right, era, right. because. A, old people are not on social media like that, oh, so yes, it's man. not like your name is going to necessarily trend if everybody who's concerned about it is just reading about it in the local newspaper. Right, right, right. But then even beyond that, I mean, like you're the large. If you die when you're ninety, a lot of your fan base is going to be dead already. Yeah, or oh, they'll be ninety waiting to die too. So <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. we all go leaving out this bitch together. Yeah, you know what I mean. But it's like I, I think that see, music used to really be predicated on the um, the skill set, right? Which I feel like it still is now. That's why Kendrick says he's dropping an album. Everybody's excited mm. because it, it, it's not nobody's thinking about Kendrick gonna come with them hits and because he found the way to make his skill set make the song be a hit, mm. right? So now I could fucking we could record a kid behind the, the 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 desk and shit, and he could get calls from every label tomorrow, right? So the bar is set very low for 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 um what we're entertained by and the consumption is very high mm. where artists are not taking the time to really hone in and not just hone in on your craft but say something if we if you like you said biggie and tupac but think about biggie and tupac and everybody else you grew up on adam if you think about those albums right and even if it might be some street shit, there's still with certain substances on those records mm. where it's not just drilling and just killing everybody who right. is an op you know what i mean it's 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 you, I, I want the story of how y'all became ops. Mm. How this kid that y'all you y'all grew up together because most of these kids I be I be like, how the fuck was y'all playing in the same park as kids and now y'all hate each other to death? Like mm. so, I feel like a lot of artists don't even hone in on that because they don't need that to make money in this this game. They don't want to necessarily give you the whole story yeah, because, this, right. because that's snitching or that's like, you know, this putting shit, too mean, much out there. Yes and no, because I, think about it like this, right? Like I be listening to Biggie now. Biggie wasn't living all that shit he was rapping about. He was mm. telling a lot of stories. Right. There's a lot of stories. Like, if you think about, like, somebody got to die, right? I've never heard Diddy, Lil C's, anybody bang, anybody from Junior Mafia, Lil Kim come out and say somebody got to die was a true story. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it was all art and interpretation. But mid nineties, they're not that far separated from like the eighties and the hip 
Whereas, like, you could say whatever if it sounds good, right? Like, yeah. there was a very much an attitude of, like, your storytelling. Like, the attitude of, like, no, what a rapper but, is saying is their actual statements of fact of what, how they've lived their life. Like, I'm tired of a, that now, that, That's a newer conception, and it might be, like, 30 years old, but it's still, like, well, relatively new. I'm, I'm tired of, like, the whole... I, I, I want artists to be able to say, be able to say, yeah, I could rap about gangster shit, I'm not a gangster. Because I'm just rapping based on not my experience, but the experience of it. Because cause it's to the point now where we like this, right? I always give a, I used to get this analogy about like somebody being real or not. Like if if we was somewhere and somebody put their hands on Pooh Shiesty, do you expect him to do something? And everybody's like, absolutely, immediately, right? Mm. And I'm like, so if Arnold Schwarzenegger was right here and somebody smacked all dog shit smack fire out this nigga on sports nigga. Do you expect him to shoot everybody in the room? And they're like, no. I'm like, yeah, but you've visually seen him do this shit more than any rapper. Right. But the the difference is, is because now Pooh Shiesty was living out his raps, right? Uh -huh. But the difference is, is because the acting part is interpreted as purely art. Right. While rappers say that it's art, they want to tee the tide of the line. You cannot be, you cannot be a street, you cannot be a street nigga and a successful artist. It will not have like people are so taken back by Jeezy today. Right. Because if you look at Jeezy before and you look at Jeezy, they're like, what the fuck is that? No, that's just him growing up. Yeah. But you, but even when he was doing it, he, it came a point where he had to slow down on whatever he was doing in order to become successful. And it's like, it, I'm 100% a factor in this too, but mm -hmm. it's like the, the culture will only like truly realize how great it could be mm -hmm. once it manages to get past just like valorizing all this violence and well, shit like the, once they can kind of leave the blood and guts and and you could be a star rapper and not have to have this air of danger around you not to mention like these days where you have to have ops and you have to have had shootouts and all this bullshit and a lot of times you'll hear people talk about new rappers as in like oh yeah he has respect because he was involved in this but it's always been that though you know and it's, it's but, always been that but i feel like it's worse than ever and i i would love to get to the point where the next hot young rapper is actually just talking about some money shit some entrepreneurship shit some like positive shit but then how are we going to perceive them we're going to perceive them like chance the rapper where street kids are not going out of their way to listen to chance the rapper right well yeah but i feel like everybody has a space to build their own right like everybody now the thing about it is is everybody who competes in the rap space wants to be the best guy right mm. but a lot of people don't realize that being you can be the best guy and whatever it is you do it just doesn't mean that you're going to be above the drakes the kendrick the coles right mm. and i think that like like you said about like all the violence shit and all that, those those issues is way bigger than than just music, right? I think that the reason why all and I can say that because I I'm really from the hood for real, and the reason why I could say that is because not say that I'm from the hood. The reason why I say I understand that is because yo in the hood we don't feel seen, man. Mm. Yo, we don't feel seen. When I was 15 years old, the best thing I could do was fucking put on an outfit and walk three miles to another block, uh, ride my bike so people could see my outfit, just so I could feel some comfort of somebody feeling like they see me. Yeah. And the thing is, is that when you don't feel seen, you're going to do whatever you can to be seen, right? Mm. And in, in this case, it's having ops, but in all this other shit, I, my biggest problem I have is that we don't take accountability for one another. Chicago, while everybody argues about drill, 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 who started drill, was it London, was it Brooklyn, was it New York, was it Chicago, nobody's taking accountability for the detriment, right? It's like the mindset and the culture that was in Chicago is now in New York. I grew up 
in my uh, being young in Harlem, I seen people getting murdered since I was a young kid. But now, I've never seen more shootings happening in New York than I've ever than right now. Mm. And and honestly though, like back in the crack era or whatever, it was like I remember it was like 1992. It's 2,800 murders or some shit. But I was a child. I didn't know nothing. The awareness changes once you become an adult. And because uh, you always get people who say, that's what I want to talk to you about, Adam. Like, you know, people who say, like, like their era of violence was better than y'all's because at least we killed over drugs. You know what I mean? Or at least we killed over principle. There's no, you, you, you don't take nobody's life without losing a piece of yourself. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And there's no way possible we could compare tragedy. You know what I mean? Or compare hardship. It's all hardship, it's all oppression. So my biggest problem is, is like I said, the fathers, right? Like the fathers, like where's the guys? Where these guys is coming home? I got friends that, if I show you some of my friends that's grandfathers, you wouldn't believe it. Really? Look just like me. Young as fuck. Got mm-hmm. two, three grandkids because they was kids having kids. But the thing about it is, nobody had any honesty or transparency or could teach them anything. So that's why it's the blind leading the blind. I got it. I remember one time my man was coming home. He had just came home, and then I seen his uh, his my, my man, baby mom's, and she telling me that her son is now locked up for an attempted murder, and my man just came home. Then my man goes, he gets locked up again, and as soon as he gets locked up and goes back into prison, his son comes home, mm-hmm. and it's just this ridiculous cycle. And then, see, music, that's why I think, what Nikki said, that the music is not responsible? I think so, so basically. I, I think... If she would have, you know, dug a little bit deeper, that's probably what she was getting at because the the problems that we have is because we don't have no education. Mm. We don't have the we don't have education, and 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 not only that, there's tons of things going on in these neighborhoods that you could put your kids in, but our priorities is fucked up. I know people that say, "Yo, it ain't nothing for the kids after school." Yeah, it is. It's just you rather buy them a fucking pair of Balenciagas than put them in a fucking um uh, uh after school program for five hundred dollars a month. Right. You feel me? And, and and that and that's all due to priority, but it goes back to being seen. Mm-hmm. When I put them eleven hundred dollars sneakers on my kid, they feel like somebody can see them. We doing good. The mm-hmm. the most ridiculous shit ever for me was living in the projects and having fly shit. Mm-hmm. Lived in a project, I still had all the sneakers I had, clothes and all that shit. And I'm like. I'm, I step on roaches every night. It's hard for a lot of people to understand that you're basically just like giving in to the capitalist machine at, oh, at, at the expense of your own future financial prosperity and your family. Like at the expense, like like you having you know five new pairs of Gucci shoes a year or whatever the fuck people are spending their money on is that's you taking away any chance that you're ever going to own a home as a person and build like a real financial future for your kid. And these corporations would love to separate you from that money and they don't give a fuck about the fact that you're not building something for yourself. But they don't, but see, the the, the thing is, is that, and it's all in the teachers, right? Because we don't, the messenger, right? Like we don't have the messenger that's in the hood that could, we don't have the examples. Most of the people, when I was a kid, everybody that came to my school to talk was a dude that said, yo, um, yeah, I come from the hood, but I stayed in the house. I went to school, and I never got in trouble. How the fuck you going? To, I can't learn nothing <laughs> yeah, from you. That's not an option for you. I can't learn nothing from you. You don't have no scars. You, and not saying that you need them, mm. but it's like I'm going through shit, and I'm trying to figure out who I want to be as a young boy growing into a man. I need, I need to hear that somebody's out here making mistakes or made mistakes the same way I did. Mm. But the thing about it is that everybody wants to put themselves on this fucking pedestal and say that they never made a mistake. That's why I don't fuck with Clubhouse, because everybody on there is an expert. <laughs> 
Everybody on Clubhouse is an expert. Everybody going on Clubhouse. Yeah, man. So you know what I did? What I did was I get it. People act like getting an LLC is this difficult process. You go to fucking LLC.com and pay $400 for the shit. That shit is not no process. I got it, like 15 LLCs. Me too. The thing is you could go to a fucking bank and say, I have an LLC. People think like, that's the start of everything. No, right. if you ain't got no fucking plan or what you going to do, bro. I took a business class in the hood. It was this business class that they had these dudes that was sitting. There was a... Uh, it was a, a bank is at Citibank, and they did this class in it, like for local people in East Harlem. It was fifty dollars for this business class, and you go there, you learn marketing, demographic, psychographic, all that shit, and you uh, and if you come up with a good enough business plan, they give you a loan to build shit in the community. Mm. This class was fifty dollars, and people knew about it. You know what I mean? Nobody did that shit. Mm. I was the I was the youngest. I, was, I took that shit when I was twenty seven. Nobody my age was in that shit. It was all like older people trying to get their shit together. It's really hard. To sell people on anything that's good for them. Well, the thing is, is that also, like, you can't... Foresight is... A, it's, that shit is really like a superpower. Mm. Like, to be able to look like... Because I would never sit here and act like everything that I've accomplished in my career was just some easy shit. It really wasn't. There's a lot of times where I was discouraged. There's a lot of times that this shit was not happening. I wasn't making no money. Even when I first started managing Davies, we wasn't making no money. You know what I mean? I wasn't making no money when I worked at Rockefeller. You know what I mean? Like, I make... I could get one check off of an appearance today that's all the money I made at Rockefeller for three years. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So foresight is something that you just got to want for yourself, but it all goes back to what I said in the beginning when we started talking, value. If you don't see any value within yourself, if you don't look in the mirror and, and, and feel some sort of thing that says, because it ain't about music. It's just about being able to do something. Like for me, I didn't, Man, I gave up on music a long time ago. I just wanted to do some shit that wasn't going to put me in prison and make my mother proud mm. and make my father proud. You know what I mean? Music just happened to be that. But I had, man, I gave up after I gave up on music. Here's a question. Mm -hmm. When I we saw you in the Kanye documentary briefly, right? Yeah. <laughs> what, you guys, go ahead. what emotions did that bring up in you and, and looking back at that, like how does that inform how you think about the artists that you deal with when you see somebody like Kanye that very few people believed in, but it was so obvious to him that he had this potential? That shit ain't bring up no emotion in me. Because yeah. I remember that. This the thing about the Kanye shit, bro. And I had, I tweeted some shit about it and everybody, like, people from every publication was trying to interview me on it. Because you said that actually that was like the 10th time that Kanye had come and played those records in the office, So right? what people, was th they interpreted that as is that he sat in the office that day and played the song 10 times for people. No. I'm going to tell you exactly how this shit used to work, Adam. Def Jam is on 50th and 8th Avenue. It's a big building. It's probably like fucking 40 floors in there. Right. Um... It's Universal was in there, right? But Rockefeller had like a cubicle space, like from like a L, boom, boom, right? Then you had Murder Inc. on that floor. You had Tough Gong, which was uh, Bob Marley's uh, label. It was like most of the most of the the the, the Bloodline, DMX's label. Most of the people that had joint, joint ventures had office space, okay, right? So then that was the 29th floor. 30th floor was Universal. Then the 27th and 28th floor was all Def Jam. It was all Def Jam. So the first time I met Kanye was like, I think it was 01, or it might have been the beginning of 02. And he was just walking through the office. I was an intern. And he was like, I said, yo, you Kanye West, right? And he was like, yeah. I said, you do the beats, right? Because he, he had this, this, this spread in the sauce with him going like this. And he had all the shit he produced on his arm, tattoo. So I said, you do the beats? He's like, yeah, I rap too. He rapped for me for eight minutes. This is nothing I could do for him. I kid you not. First time I met Kanye, he rapped for me for eight minutes. But the thing was, he rapped for me for eight minutes. Then I go to 27, 
He had playing Pat and Furious Bueller, um, they cubicle, rapping for them. You go to 28, he in front of Leo Cohen office, rapping for whoever's the fucking mm. intern there. He would do that shit everywhere. So, yeah, when he first did it, amazing. The first shit he ever rapped to me was All Falls Down, Jesus Walks, and some other shit. I don't know if it ever came out. But he used to come at this time in 02, when he used to come to the office, phones ain't even have cameras on them. So imagine, like, right now, Adam, if a motherfucker walk in your space right now with their phone out, you'll be like, what the fuck is you doing? Right. Yo, chill. He used to come there with a camera crew. It was the, 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 what's the dude named? Chike? Cootie? Uh, Cootie, yeah. Cootie. I, mean, I didn't even know was who the other one. At that time, I mean, I was a kid. I didn't know who Cootie was, but he used to come in there. He, it used to be him, John Legend all the time, Consequence. Consequence was always with him, John Legend. He used to have Tyler Kwali with him a lot. Um, and a few other people. Don C. And he would he would walk around with it. Now, what I will give him credit for is, yeah, he was ahead. Mm. But imagine, like, so my my the reason why I started tweeting when I was tweeting is because Chaka, Chaka Pilgrim, who she was the head of marketing, who's helped tons of people and was one of Kanye's biggest advocates when he was signed to that label, he just busted in her office that day and just turned the song on while she in the middle of handling something. So yeah. so imagine. And Chaka, yo, Chaka always get the short end of the stick with shit. Yeah. Because it's like she's going viral for mad times, like on backstage that documentary. That's like Jay, like pushing her, like you know what I mean. And people put that clip up, like, oh, look at Jay Z punching this girl in the face. They grew up together. They like brother and sister. Right. So they play fighting and shit on the road. But people always twist shit about Chaka. So yeah. when I started saying what I was saying, it was because Chaka is not a person that's ever going to do an interview. I know her. While everybody out here, all these kids that grew up on Kanye might not give a fuck about her, I do. And I think it's unfair for people to say that she didn't believe in him. Because that's not true. Right. You know what I mean? That's not true. But Kanye used to, yo, bro, he would come in here right now. <laughs> and I don't give a fuck. You could be interviewing me. He'll come in here and be like, yo, I got this new song. Y'all got here right now. And just right. turn the shit on. You be like, yo, what the fuck is that we having to But isn't there a little bit of that that you would want an artist that you sign these days to have? Where no, <laughs> absolutely not. But a little bit of that persistence. No, I, I want, I would love for an artist to have the confidence. His confidence, right? And his mom. One thing I would say about his mother, I had the, I had the privilege of meeting his mother when mm. I was younger, when I was nineteen. His mother would, hey, young man, how you doing? She was a very respectful lady. She always showed everybody in the office love. And he loved his mom. I could honestly say I sat there and witnessed it. But I had people telling me what was going on in that documentary. I'm, I'm on a clip. I remember that day. And mm -hmm. it, that wasn't the only day he did it. But, dude, I want artists to have that. I want them to have the confidence. But at the same time, you having confidence, Kanye, not only do I have, he has confidence, he has arrogance. And he could be disrespectful. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, no, I don't want you coming in. I don't want you coming in my office and kicking the fucking door down right. while I'm in the middle of a call and telling some and not saying that that happened in that clip. But this is shit that happens. But there is something to be gained from getting the whole label staff, like all the people in the office, excited about your music, right? Like, yeah. that's not gonna make Dame or Jay say, Bro. "All right, let's get that project out in a couple months or whatever." But it, it could help to energize the, the so momentum, I don't know, right? I don't know the timeline that the, and I see Cootie was, he closer to Kanye than I was. He, he was around Kanye more than I was, but I will say this. In 2002, when he, Kanye did that Get Well Soon mixtape, right? Hosted by DJ Enough. That was paid for by Rockefeller. It was mm. white label by Rockefeller. Rockefeller put it out. It's okay. before he signs his deal, mm. right? Not only is he signed to Rockefeller as a producer and he's getting a nice amount of money. I'm not going to disclose how much because I know how much it was. Because he produced Jay-Z's album, he's now going across the street to any other label and charging them out the ass for mm. whatever he's producing. 
also, in 2002, remember the Champions? The song? The song? Yeah, yeah. Right? I'm talking about the one, not the one that Kanye did with 2 Chains and all of them. I'm talking about the one with Kanye, Young Chris, Beanie Siegel, and Cameron, and right. Twister. Dame put him, when we was doing a paid and full soundtrack, Dame puts him on that. Kanye was at every video shoot. Like, bro, like for people to say that Rock, the, the narrative is pushed as like Rockefeller didn't believe in him. Right. Of course, there was people that wanted more beats than they wanted rhymes. Not going to dispute that. But right. at the same time, bro, he had more. Why the fuck? You, he still repped that shit. He still, when the last time you seen Kanye with a Rockefeller chain on? You can't remember. Mm. But he still repped that shit. He'll still say, Jay, my big homie. Jay, my big brother. All that other shit. Like. Bro, it, it, and, and the reason why I defend it so much because people come in my mentions talking about some, oh, you a Jay-Z dick sucker, you a dick rod and all that other shit. I did not go to college. I dropped out of high school in the ninth grade, right? So could you imagine dropping out of high school in the ninth grade, being told you would not be shit, going to a label that you looked up to and bought all their music as an 18-year-old kid that you was once delivering mail to, now you work there. That's my fraternity. Mm. You know what I mean? That's my, that, no, I always say Rockefeller was my college state property was my fraternity. Right, you know, so like I'm always gonna defend that and rep that. A lot of documentaries, though, you if you know anything about what's going on behind the scenes, it's mm -hmm. so clear how they make it intentionally deceptive to create a narrative. Oh, absolutely. Because the fact that everybody talks about that moment where it seems like nobody at Rockefeller believes in Kanye, that's so important to the narrative that they're trying to paint in that documentary that the facts don't matter to the people because it's such good documentary making yeah. to make oh, yeah. that it, shit it, seem so look, extreme. What's the crazy thing about it, though, is is when Jay and Dame split, there was really no more Rockefeller. It was just a name and change. It wasn't no more Rockefeller. They fired. They got rid of the whole staff. Everybody who was working, excuse me, was working there, was inserted at different places. Right. Some people took jobs at Def Jam. For me, I went to working back in a fucking mailroom. You know what I mean? I didn't have shit to do. And Kanye... At that point that he had already built himself by the... He put out... uh, What's that? College dropout and late registration. He had a whole Rockefeller staff at that time. By the time... What was the next album after that? Graduation? By the time he did graduation, it was no more Rockefeller staff. Mm. So he had already did all his heavy lifting there. You know what I'm saying? Like, he already did his heavy lifting there. But the thing about it is that Rockefeller was and forever is a part of his legacy. Same as mine. Like, you know what I mean? If it, for some, yo, it's so funny because... People always say shit like, I, ever told, I told you this before that I never wanted to be a public figure. Yeah. Like, this, it happened for me, right? Mm. So it's like, sometimes I just want to share my opinion about shit because I'm a human being like everybody else, but people would tell me everything I ain't. Without knowing nothing about my story, tell me, a dude said like, He's like, Kanye's a billionaire. Fuck is you talking about? I'm like, nigga, you ain't a billionaire neither. Fuck, I, I know I got more money than you. Right. You know what I mean? But That's a bizarre <laughs> standard to place upon people is if somebody has more money than you, then you're not allowed to criticize their behavior. Or Seems to say, very bad for society. Or to say, yeah, or to say that if you're not a billionaire, which it ain't, but so many, it's a, you know, two handfuls of motherfuckers in the world, right. to say that you ain't did nothing with your life or you ain't successful, which is ridiculous. But but at the same time, I don't give a fuck about that because you wanna know why, bro? Like I've been through the worst of the worst to, to be able to do the bare minimum and my family lives great off of Wayno. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't care about none of that shit. I, I don't mean, get caught up on Putin's that. a billionaire, huh? I would assume, right? Putin? I mean, we, we should feel comfortable is that criticizing still going his... On? Oh yeah. Uh, I'm sorry for my ignorance, I just uh. like, I'm just saying, a lot, yeah, a lot of the most evil people in history evil were extremely rich, right? yeah. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know how much money Hitler had, but I'm going to assume it was a lot. Hell yeah, he had money because it's all about manipulation. I know. Like, yeah. Hitler was a... I remember when Tyler Creator said some shit about, like, 
and this is real, real early. He said something about like Hitler being a great leader or some shit. Oh wow! But people interpreted it like so, like because it's like they say anything regarding Hitler in a in a space where people could perceive as something good is bad. But what I think what he had meant by that is like his ability to get people to follow some bullshit. Tyler had a lot of trolls in him at the time. That he was this. He was the creative so trolling. Well. Like yeah. he created fucking trolling, man. Yeah. Yeah. What a guy. Mm-hmm. Wayno, I appreciate you coming through, bro. You, anything you want to tell the people about that you um, have uh, coming down the pipeline? Absolutely. Um, make sure that uh, you follow Amazon Music and Rotation for my show Connected with Wayno. Mm-hmm. Right, it comes on once a month. We're working on doing once once uh, a month is live via Twitch. But then you also have um, like the the specials that we're gonna do, like the joint I did with Kodak. Mm-hmm. We got that. Um, everybody QC, you feel me? Specifically, Baby Money. You, you know had what I mean? dinner with Jeff Bezos yet? Hell no, man. I no. don't know no fucking Jeff B. I'm probably never going to see him ever a day in my life. Man, if he wants to embrace hip-hop, get Wayno to the dinner. That's a f- No, get Wayno an extra check. I don't give a fuck about having dinners <laughs> okay, with nobody. Yeah. Fuck them dinners. Give I me mean, some bread. I mean, he could have like five other like young hip-hop people there at the dinner, and you're still going to be pretty hyped on the Bro, dinner, right? I don't have the money nor the capital to invest in nothing that fucking <laughs> Jeff Bezos is going to talk to me about. I assume he's going to fly you out. You'll <laughs> if be, if you know. Jeff Bezos will talk to me, talk to me about another position. You right. feel me? But... Now, Adam, I appreciate you, man. You yeah, know, man. the whole No Jumper team. I definitely want to meet uh, T-Rell because I, 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 I want to kick it with him if I get the opportunity. How long are you I leave tonight. Uh, you know what I right. mean? But, I, I, you know, I always come Let's back and shit. Let's line it up next yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And then AD, man. I miss my brother AD. You know, uh, hell yeah. Whatever No Jumper, y'all always got my support. Oh, uh, yeah. I appreciate you, man. My Thank guy. you so much. All righty. Appreciate you Peace. coming through. Let's do it again sometime. Let's do it. Wayno, No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, Instagram. Like, comment, subscribe. No Jumper.com if you want to support. Appreciate y'all. Wayno 119 on everything.